Well, hello there, little masters, and welcome once again to the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight we're loading up the good stuff in casks and sailing west. West you haul, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the Aragorn's my Amer, Alan Sisto. Thank you, Sean. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed our special episode last week when we had a chance to sit down and talk with John Garth. We were really honored to have him on the show. But tonight we're going to go back to the Silmarillion and finally starting the Second Age in the first of two episodes on the Akalabaith. Here we finally get to the story of Numenor. Ah, uh, yes, Numenor, that place that Tolkien mentions a few times in The Lord of the Rings, just sort of teasing us with its existence, <laughs> but never actually saying anything about it until you read the appendices. Which you should read, of course. Well, of course. Uh, but if you didn't, good news. It's actually given here in a bit more detail. Um, instead of just listing out all the kings and queens, you'll get a little bit of a story about it. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll notice something different about this story. We're finally in the realms of men here. That's true. Even though men have been on the scene for a long time now, they've been walking around in a Middle-earth still ruled by those elves. That mm-hmm. starts to change. Yes, it does. It'll be a long time before men truly have dominion over Middle-earth. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. until the end of the Third Age, really. Yeah. But this story is Two the first ages. glimpse of what that's going to look like, really, the you know the good and the bad of that. Well, and the ugly. So let's get to it <laughs> as soon as we can. Quite true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Very before true. we do, do we have anything from Barnum's bag today? Yes, we do, sir. Uh, first of Very all, good. in our in our last regular episode, the one about Arendil, mm-hmm. we talked about Aragorn and Arwen being cousins, um, but we struggled to think about how many generations of removal there were between the two of them. Right. Um, I was looking in the bag, and I uh, saw that uh, Bethany in Oklahoma uh, wrote in to us a few months ago asking us this exact question, saying, Aragorn, or, Aragorn and Arwen are first cousins many times removed, but how many times? So I would figured, well, let me... she answered that question for us. Rather than I know. It would have been nice if she'd helped us. Well, yeah. <laughs> she Well, she asked us <laughs> long before we, we stumbled over it last That's true. Time, but, That's true. Uh, short answer is 64. 64 times removed. Wow, and, that's uh, a few. Yeah, quite a few. Uh, the long answer, for those who, like me, can't remember... Uh, <laughs> can't, <laughs> can't remember what the difference is between a second cousin and a first cousin once removed. True. Um, here's an explanation of how I got to that number. So... Uh, Elrond and Elros were brothers. So that means that Arwen and Elros's son, Vardamir, were first cousins, right? Because each of them was descended from a brother. So, Right, okay. exactly. So they're on the same, lo- the same level of they're the family They're on the same, the same generation, the same line okay. of the, the same row of the family tree, if you will. Um, so then Vardamir's son, Tar Amandil, uh, would have been Arwen's first cousin once removed because the removals are... Uh, generations of separation. Gotcha. Yep. So every generation, every generation younger than Arwen and Vardamir, uh, is going to be one more removal. So then, how so do you get the second cousins then, and then third cousins and stuff? So huh? second cousins are when um, you are dis- when the the common ancestor is a generation further up. Oh, okay. So if it would be like, so if like Arwen's, so Arwen's child, um, whose name now escapes me. <laughs> the Eldarian. one she has with Aragorn, would have been second cousins with Vardamir if he hadn't been dead for 4,000 years. I think so, yeah. Or, I mean, Tar Amandil. Sorry. Right. I yeah, see. I think okay. so. Yeah, it's it's basically, yeah, you have to you have to go further up to find that common ancestor. Gotcha. Okay. I hope well, I got that right. I think you did. Um, <laughs> no, you, you did, actually. I just yeah. wanted to make sure you had it. Yeah, I was you wanted to make sure I knew I knew what I was talking about. I was, I was test. testing you. I passed the test. You did. I will go into the West and remain and remain, Sean. Sean. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah. So anyway, um, oh, so how I, I got to that. the number, I know, um, how I got to the number sixty-four. So uh, mm-hmm. remember that Aragorn descends from not the royal line, but a, a lesser line, right? A, a lesser, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a lesser well, sibling. A line that should have been because later on they ended up having ruling queens, and his the ancestor yes. in his line would have been a ruling queen had that been the law. Uh, at the time, that's right. It wasn't that was Silmarian, wasn't it? I believe so. We'll get yeah. to her tonight. I think we'll get to yes, a brief mention of her. Yeah. So we don't know exactly how many generations there were, but if we assume no. that they had children at roughly the same age, then let's just count the kings and queens of Numenor, and that's about as close as we can get. Sure. So twenty-five rulers of Numenor. So um, let's see, twenty-five rulers of Numenor. So yeah, so we've got twenty-three generations there because we're actually counting from the second one. Right, that makes sense. So uh, and then, okay. and then we've got ten kings of Arnor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's thirty-three times removed. We've got fifteen kings of Arthedain. Uh-huh. So that gets us to forty-eight, 48 times removed. And then we've got then sixteen chieftains. chieftains of the Rangers, yep. including Aragorn. So that's sixty-four times removed. My goodness. Or thereabouts. I think that's right. I mean, it or, could or be sixty-three or sixty-six yeah. or something, but. Uh, it certainly means they're not much more closely related than you and about half the people in your town. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, they're, you know, it's pretty you, they're cousins. Well, I mean, you know, hey, look, we know elves and we'll see men have yeah. pretty strong taboos against first cousins. But, I mean, they're so far first removed. First cousins, certainly. Yeah. Even seconds. But but they're just so far removed. removed? I mean, yeah. Is, yeah, there's there's been a lot of um, a lot of other blood that's been, you know. Yeah, mixed into, into that, that Aragorn line. is, yeah. Yeah, his elvish blood is is so minute. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. present, and that's you know that's an excellent thing for him. But yeah, it's yeah. not like yeah. uh, they got to worry about their kids yeah. having hemophilia or whatever else. Right. The royal family, <laughs> right? Exactly, right. exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, thank you, Bethany, for that one, uh, and yeah. for giving us a chance to to do a little bit of math, which is always a scary proposition for me. Boy, you're not kidding. Um, <laughs> I hope you no, like that too. answer. <laughs> Uh, and we do have one more question if we've got time for it here, Alan. Um, we okay. got one from our we from our old friend Tarek in Chicago. Um, Tarek recently reminded me uh, that I've been mispronouncing his name. I've been I think I've been saying Tarek, um, and oh. it's actually Tarek. So okay. I am very sorry, Tarek. Um, thank you for being very nice in your email. Maybe to we should just too. call him Mister T. <laughs> oh, pity the fool. Yeah, pity pity the, the fool. fool. Yep. Drink your milk. I'm, <laughs> Eat your Mr. T's uh, cereal. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, uh, probably sadly, he's probably too young to to know much about the A team. But uh, he might be. He yeah. might be. Tark, let us know if you remember Mr. T's cereal. If you have any idea what we're talking <laughs> oh, about, man. we'll chat about. We that, just lost ninety you percent know. of our audience right there. <laughs> what? Who? Anyway, uh, so Tark wrote in asking about Arendil. He said, "If the vial of Caladriel holds the light of the star of Arendil." Why couldn't the file be used by the Valar to try and restore the trees? Is it because it's too much of an imitation in comparison to a Silmaril, or was it hidden on purpose from the Valar? I think, you know, was it hidden right. from the Valar well, purposefully? No, I, first of all, I'm so sorry. I can't get it out of my head. I just want to say, in 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think it was it's as best as I can remember, <laughs> That's pretty good. And maybe you can hire the eight. <laughs> well, it only took us like what uh, eight minutes to digress, right? On. I know, I know, and it only took us forty something episodes to get in an, an, an eighteen reference. reference. Boy, you're not that kidding. Ha- that that, that, that takes a long, a long time. time. 
I mean, yeah. we should have referenced them with the – I'm thinking the, the, the skinny bows that couldn't really shoot very well because we know the A-team yeah. can hit the broadside of a barn. That's right. Um, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Kind of like I think I think if you take off stormtrooper helmets, you'll find they're all members of the A team. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised that we didn't get to it with Olmo, and then you know, I love when a plan comes together. Oh boy, you're not kidding. You are not kidding. Okay, well now back to yeah. Tarek's question because at some point we have to do our jobs. We're gonna, we're going to have to talk about Tolkien at some point today. At some point we should. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd say really in terms of the the star of Arendel, it, it's a matter of both in terms of the, the file, it's a matter of both quantity and quality. Um, first, the light is, well, diluted, for lack of a better word. Uh, here's mm. the line from the text. Yeah, In this works. file, she said, is caught the light of Eärendil's star, set him at the waters of my fountain. So it's in water. So it's not the pure light that was in the Silmarils themselves. Um, but it's actually it, the reflection of the light exactly. in the water that's been captured in the file. Yeah, Exactly. So it's not it's not the original light. It's a, It's a reflection of the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if it was pure, like the light of the Silmarils itself, um, it's 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 a quantity issue too. The file is is really small. It's um it's small enough for a Hobbit shirt pocket. So it seems sure. unlikely there'd be enough. So both quantity and quality. But oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think really it's the quality of the light to begin with. I mean, it's awesome, but it's not Arendil awesome. Um, well, you know, a few things are. Few things. Few things are. <laughs> perhaps perhaps me on a very good day. Um, <laughs> But, you know, let's not forget. I wouldn't go that far for either of us. No, I wouldn't either. (laughs) I really wouldn't. Um, You know, we just talked about this episode. I think really what we understand now is the Valar themselves placed Eärendil and the Silmaril into the sky as the morning star. So Mm -hmm. if Yavanna had thought that the light from one Silmaril would have been enough to restore the trees, she probably would have raised her hand and said, "Um, excuse me, Manwe? Can we um, we talk? (laughs) Right. Um, So if, if, you know. I have another idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, can we can we take a vote? Yeah. No, that's so. a, that's a good point. I think. Um, yeah. This this idea of it being a reflection, I think, is really yeah. compelling. You said that. That really makes me think. Of, I mean, it's really. I mean, it's a it's ultimately a reflection of a reflection of that's true the tree light because you know mm-hmm. the Silmarils were, uh, you know, a yeah. imprisonment of the tree light, which is a kind of reflection, right? It's a duplicate. It's like well, a copy. Right. Yeah. And then this is a copy of the copy and. I mean, depending on how much you want to make of the the dust of elven gems that covered Arendo, who knows? Maybe it's even a, you know, maybe it's even the light reflecting off of that. To, you That's know, true. Magnet. I don't know. So it's a copy of a copy. It's yeah. It's there's no way no, that it would be quality. pure enough. I don't think to heal the trees, but I think no. also the, the 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 quantity of it is interesting as well. Yeah. But it, you know what? That's really interesting though, because it it kind of illustrates the vast difference between mm-hmm. what's exceedingly bright by middle earth standards and what's exceedingly bright by Amon standards. Wow. Good you point. Know? Absolutely. You know, Very I mean, good point. This, this, the, the file is, you know, one of the brightest, one of the brightest things we could probably imagine in mortal mm-hmm. lands, but it pales in comparison oh, yeah. to what the light of those trees was. Absolutely. That's a good point. Well, I think we answered that one. So, uh, We've got two yeah, down. Good question, so, um, Mark. Thank yeah, you very much. Very much. Without any further ado, then, let's go ahead and move on with today's discussion. Uh, before we get into the chapter itself, Sean, do you want to do what you've done for the last few stories and give us a, a quick intro to the Akalabath? Uh, I'll do a little bit. I, I really want to make this brief so we can get into the story. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I feel like I need to say a few words. Uh, Your definition so, yeah, of brief we're... may be different than mine. I don't know. <laughs> I, think it, I think it has <laughs> historically been, yeah. Um, you keep on using but, that word. Uh, I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, yeah, so the Akalabeth, 
or the downfall of Numenor mm-hmm. is uh, the only complete story we have from the Second Age. We've got some fun stuff in the Unfinished Tales, which I yeah. think you're going to bring in some some of tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but this is the only one that's complete, and um, uh, and that's because it's really important to the Legendarium. Uh, Tolkien called it the missing link between the First Age. Uh, sort of the mythological first age and the right. more historical, fantastical third age. Um, and so it, it is a really important part of it, which I think is why Christopher Tolkien included it in this collection. Yeah. It picks up right where the first age leaves off, but it is very different uh, in tone and in theme from the Quintus Silmarillion. And I think that's because it's it's really firmly in the world of men, as we said yeah. in the introduction. You know, Definitely. it's this is this is a mannish kingdom. This is a mannish. These are these are mannish problems. <laughs> Boy, are these they. are man. These are man problems. <laughs> these, these aren't are elf problems. Yeah. These aren't um, elf problems. Right. Exactly. These here are men problems. Hash, hashtag second age problems. <laughs> um, and so the elves are present, uh, sort of. Um, they they don't make too many appearances in this story, but but they are there. Uh, yeah. But more and more in the background as time goes on. That's so true. So I. I just kind of wanted to sort of uh, set the stage a little bit for the very different tone here. That's really all I want to say right now, because um, going into more going into my usual, you know, here's the history of Tolkien's composition and all that stuff to do all that. I'm going to have to spoil the end. And yeah, I don't want to do that. We don't want to. So, do that. yeah. So, you know, maybe next time we'll talk a little bit more about um, the history of the composition and stuff like that. But for now, um, we'll uh, we'll just get into it and we'll uh, we'll save for later the question of sort of the significance to the legendarium as a whole. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah, you're certainly right about the tone. And I think that fits with the whole missing link thing. The, the fact that it mm-hmm. is a transition from that, that grand mythic set of tales. And right. A very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, personal narrative of, of the Hobbit and the Lord of, of the, the Rings. The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Right. And, yeah. You know, this is, uh, which is, which is entirely character driven. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right. this is, is much more, I mean, this is somewhere in between, right? It's a history like the Quinta, but it's right. it's a much more personal there, history and there, a manish history. And, right, and right. Are, and I think it's and I think it's more closely connected with, you know, um, manish legends, the kind of legends yes. that we, we grew up with in the real world. And that's exactly. all I'll say about that for now. Oh, but, yeah. I see where you're going. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So. Well, let's go ahead and dig in. Um, the first thing we'd recommend, I, and I, unfortunately I don't have a place online to, to send you to, but do try to find a map of Numenor. Um, the, really, the best one is the one that Tolkien provided in Unfinished Tales. And if you Google map of Numenor, you'll find uh, that image someplace. And that would be a good mm-hmm. a good source of reference. The other one would be um, uh, in Karen Fonstad's Atlas of Middle-Earth. That's another excellent yeah. map. That's a good one. That's uh, that's the one I've got in front of me, yeah. and that's uh, yeah. Those are the two I would look at. Uh, unfortunately, Loader Project does not uh, does not have a map of Numenor on it. So uh, okay. maybe maybe he needs more uh, maybe he needs more donations. More, more donations, to, uh, yeah. Sweeten the pot for him. <laughs> there Folks. you go. Yeah, throw throw a few dollars his way. Uh, they they do a tremendous job over at Loader Project. I can't. I, yeah. Just one guy. I don't know how you. Yeah, just, I know it's this amazing. Guy, you know. Um, but you know, he, he codes that whole thing. Pretty impressive. So, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead. You know, we see, we'll, we'll start out at the beginning as we always do, because it is a very good place to start. A very good place to start. (laughs) Um, we won't read the first few paragraphs, but we will see something very interesting that, uh, Morgoth sent his emissaries among the men they listened to his evil and cunning words and they worshiped the darkness and yet feared Mm. it. Sean, Mm. you had a really interesting observation on that when we were talking about this. 
Yeah, well, I just noticed it's the first time we see the word worship in the Silmarillion. I mean, we've, hmm. you know, we've got a story that has been, uh, you know, started out with God, the one God, and with right. God's little g gods. You know, um, there's so much about the the interactions there as a full creation myth and everything, but we never see anything about worship. That's true. Um, we're only seeing it for the first time here in reference to men. And I think, um, I think that's, well, I just think that's key because again, we're, we're in this place of, of men. It, it's almost as, it seems to me as a Tolkien is kind of implying that, you know, men worship. Yeah. Um, whereas elves, you know, we never really saw elves worship. They, no. um, you know, they spend a lot of time with the Valar. They certainly. OMG Manway. <laughs> right, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, no, I, the, I don't know. It almost makes me think like. That we get a lot yeah. is reverence or to revere. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And, and I know that those are synonyms, but I think there's enough. Um, there's the the word worship is a little bit more loaded. Um, I mean, at least it feels that way to yeah. me. I don't know. And I'm, I'm thinking of that, obviously, as somebody in 2017. And he might not have been thinking that, you know, 100 years ago or. Well, no, he didn't write the Akalabeth 100 years ago, but um, just some of the oh, earliest, sure. earliest 80, parts. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, about 80. So it is, it's but, – but the words are synonyms. I mean – the dictionary definition yeah. of worship is to render religious reverence. So it's it is oh, pretty okay. similar. Okay, well there, yeah. So yeah, you're defining but, but one I do in think terms of another. But I don't think it's an accident. You know, I mean, I, even though I can say they're synonyms, it is clear that there is never a word. The, the word worship is never used to describe how the elves treat the Valar. They do mm-hmm. reverence them for sure, and we see uh, even in Lord of the Rings, Galadriel singing a hymn to Elbereth. Um, right. You know, who who do you sing a hymn to? Well, you'd only sing a hymn to somebody you're you're worshiping. So you're right, right. You know, yeah. it's it's by inference. But I think you're right. I think he he does kind of point out here that men uh, are quick to to worship, to to mm-hmm. to give worth to somebody you know greater than them. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a good little bit of word nerdery because I, mm-hmm. I looked into the etymology of the word, and you're right. It does yeah. come from, from worth, this idea of worth giving shit. worth. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, you know, worship is the Anglo-Saxon word, you know, yeah. revere, reverence is a Latin derived word. You're right. I was going to mention think that you too. Would, <laughs> you would think you would go to worship, but yeah. Um, I, I think that the makes last it even thing less likely is, that this was an accident. That is very true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's true. And, and I want to be clear, he's talking about worshiping the darkness here, but right, he right. doesn't just use it in a negative sense. Um, no. In fact, we will one see of the shortly that's not the case yeah, at all. Right. Right. Exactly. So I don't think it's, I don't think Tolkien is saying that, you know, worship connotes something bad to him. I just gotcha. think in this, he's, it connotes something mannish, whatever that is. Yeah, I think you're right. No, but that's a good point because he does, worship is not always just related to Morgoth. So, or later on, sadly, Sauron. Right. Oh, did I just spoil something for next episode? <laughs> oh, I did. I forgot what we were oh, breaking man. tonight. <laughs> That's all right. I'm sorry. That's all right. You know what? Well, first-time okay. readers hopefully have read the entire chapter. Uh, it's only a couple of pages past exactly. where we're stopping today. It really is. So um, anyway, that was it doesn't just end well, folks. That's why downfalls in the. That's trailer. right. That's why it's called downfall. <laughs> just like the, the the fall of Gondolin was the downfall of right, Gondolin, it's not, not the autumn, not, not yeah. the uh, red and orange leaves. The leaves in Gondolin <laughs> are so pretty this time of year in, in the fall. <laughs> well, they're being burnt up by Probably dragons. Up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we see that some of these uh, some of these men, of course, this is just a recap of what we saw in the Silmarillion. The men went west yeah. following the rumor of the light. Uh, we get a recap of Arendil's errand. And we get, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have Sean jump in on some word nerdery here, we get Rothenzil. Am Rothenzil. I, am, am, yeah. am I getting the, Rothenzil? Okay. I, I believe sure so. I, yeah, I believe it's Rothenzil. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't sure where to put the emphasis on what syllable. 
Um, <laughs> I think the I think to answer that, I think the emphasis is on the, <laughs> is on this. I think it goes on the penult. Uh, I've, yeah. I've not seen anything that says that Adonai uh, stress is different from Elvish stress. So right. I'm I'm going with Elvish stress rules. Yeah, yeah, and and two consonants following the vowel of the, oh, of that's the penult. Right. So yeah. you've got N Z following the I. So that means the stress is on the I. I think, but somebody correct me if it's if it's you know Rothenzell. I can see that. But. Yeah, and let's uh, let's just leave that out there, please, because we're moving into Adonaic. Um, yeah, or Adonaic. <laughs> we're gonna have a little trouble pronouncing we're it. Gonna aren't we? We're gonna have a little trouble. We're gonna <laughs> starting have starting with trouble. the name of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> no, it's true. Know, it, these are these are tough words. These and, are uh, because there's I not mean, as much clarity as to which rules they follow. Right. Um, you know, right. whereas with the Elvish tongues, we really do get pretty sound set of rules um, that, yeah. that, are, that can be consistently applied. So yeah. do, do and, feel and free to... be fair, to, I, you know, you I've know, not spent know. nearly as much time as much time with the Adonaic material that's in, uh, I think it's History of Middle Earth, Volume 9. Yeah, I've not spent I, nearly I as much time with yet. that as anything else, yeah. No, we'll get there eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about that word. Yeah, so uh, so Rothenzil is the name that they're giving to um, to Arendel's ship, which uh, we know as Vingalot. Mm-hmm. Um and this is actually what linguists call a calc or a word for word translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, what they've done is they've taken each root of uh, vingalot and translated those two roots and those put those roots back together. So vingalot means foam flower. Ving is foam. Uh, uh, lot or lote is flower. Okay. Uh, basically, all the Numenorians did was they translated both of those. So roth is foam mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, inzil is flower. Uh, oh, so okay. fl- foam flower, Roth and Zill. It's basically just, it has the exact same meaning as Vinkalot, but in their own language. Okay. Uh, it, it, if you're interested in a little extra word nerdery here. Well, and um, who wouldn't be? And, this is right. the Prancing Pony you're, podcast, You're listening Sean. to us after We're all, all interested so. in the extra word nerdery. Exactly. That's what we do here. Um, so interestingly, that that word Roth, uh, which is Adonaic for foam, is actually mm-hmm. a derivative of the Sindarin word Ross. Mm-hmm. Which is in the name Elros, which means star foam. Interesting. So, um, so that was a, which I mean is the name of their first king, which we'll see in just a moment. So, well, yeah, I don't know. we will. Just a neat, just a neat. Did I? I didn't spoil that. No, I, don't, that. I don't think you did. You, you should know that Elros is the first king of Numenor. I think that that <laughs> since, really since should be said known it, by anybody. I think we said it last last episode. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think but, we did. Yeah. So then there's a recap of the great battle, um, and that that well, then we get to see that men are forsaken. But I'm going to have Sean read that for us. Okay, well, let me find it. Um, here we go. <laughs> Please do. And and after the victory of the lords of the west, those of the evil men who were not destroyed fled back into the east, where many of their race were still wandering in the unharvested lands, wild and lawless, refusing alike the summons of the Valar and of Morgoth. And the evil men came among them and cast over them a shadow of fear, and they took them for kings. Then the Valar forsook for a time the men of Middle-earth who had refused their summons and had taken the friends of Morgoth to be their masters. And men dwelt in darkness and were troubled by many evil things that Morgoth had devised in the days of his dominion, demons and dragons and misshapen beasts and the unclean orcs that are mockeries of the children of Iluvatar. And the lot of men was unhappy. Boy, was it. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you're going to hang out with the wrong crowd, the Valar are just not going to... They're gonna, they're gonna forsake you. Yeah, <laughs> you picked the wrong king, pal. Yeah, sad, but not surprising. Yeah. Not surprising. They've always kind of been very hands off when it came to the men. 
Yeah, they have. And and I think we've talked about before the idea. I mean, my idea, I think it's fairly clear in the Legendarium that the Valar are taking a uh, a more hands-off approach as time goes on. And we oh, are yeah. getting to the, we're getting to the dominion of men. And so they're, they're really starting to wash their hands of it and just say, mm-hmm. well, okay, you know, yeah. um, we're going to just kind of do our them. own thing. They summoned them. Yeah, yeah right. You know? Exactly. We summoned yeah. you. You, you, you don't want to come. We're not going to you... come. We're not going to force you. Can lead a man to water. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting, yeah, but very ahead. interesting that, you know, the ones who served Morgoth actually, you know, go back and then, you know, lorded over the rest. Yeah. It's, um, you know, they, they've, uh, you know, we talk so much about ennoblement and how men, the Adain learned from the elves, you know, and here we've got the evil men who have learned from Morgoth and his orcs and, yep. and they're going to take this, um, you know, this, this wickedness back and, um, you know, and rule as tyrants. It's, uh, it's really sad. It's well, really they took the six really week hard. Morgoth leadership course. So they know how to <laughs> go and, you know, <laughs> They watched a TED Talk from uh, the Hang Band Retreat. Yeah, TED Talk. <laughs> Hang <Band> Retreat. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh, man. A, a milk talk. <laughs> milk talk. You too can be evil. That's right. Man. Oh goodness! I can just see him now. Well, you know, he's selling life coaching sessions and. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. But but what's really fascinating? Did you connect about with him on is... LinkedIn because that's helpful. Oh yeah. Well, definitely. Yeah. You got to have a LinkedIn profile if you're going to be a. You're going to be a, a wicked lord of men. Uh, oh, goodness. This is going to be a long one. It is. Uh, what's really interesting about this, though, I mean, you know, these, um, you know, these bad guys come back and, you know, use what they've learned in the West to, um, yeah. you know, to be tyrants. Whereas um, when we see the Numenorians come back ding, ding, in just ding. a moment, yeah. they're going to bring culture and wisdom and, um, yeah. and technology. And it's, um, for a it's time. interesting. It just underscores. I'm sorry. Yeah, for, for a, time. a time. Yes, yeah. that's true. Until they start to, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are getting ahead of ourselves, but you're right. That is an interesting comparison. So folks, keep that in mind when we get there. You'll you'll kind of see that difference. Uh, Again, we we won't read the next little bit, but um, Morgoth is put outside the world. You know, we talked about way back in Ainulindale that the world and Arda are not synonyms. Arda is in the world, but the world is the universe. The world is everything that is created. So Manway has put Morgoth out in the void, which is outside of existence, outside of the universe. The only right. thing that's there are the timeless halls, at least the only things that we that we know of. Um, right. <clears throat> so he's not going to be able to get back into the world, into uh, our universe, so to speak, uh, while the Lords that's of the West are still enthroned. That's an interesting point. I mean, the timeless halls are there, but presumably there are other things there because we know that not Melkor... Not much. It's a void. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, really. There's, there's, empty, there's other emptiness there. I guess what yeah. I'm thinking is that, you know, the timeless halls is not the entire void, right? No, of course it's a, not. It's it's a place within the void, um, because you know we Melkor used to go seeking for stuff in the void exactly. back in the music. Yeah, absolutely. I guess what I'm getting at is, um, you know, I don't think Morgoth was you know sent to Iluvatar's office. Oh no, and, not at you know, all. Chained up there, he was sent someplace. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's not dark. welcome there. <laughs> I'm right. No, not even like go to the principal's office. I think it's just no. like no, you're not. You're not coming anywhere just near leave here. Just the campus, and you're done. Right. Yeah. You're um, you're expelled, buddy. Yeah, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but interesting, not surprising. Uh, you know, his the the seeds that he had planted grew and sprouted, bearing evil fruit. Isn't that a beautiful line? I know I said it we is. were going to read that, but I read it. <laughs> it's so well, too bad. It's a, no, it's all right. That's what we do. It's it's a beautiful line for you know something horrible. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, 
you know, so the will it reminds more... me a little bit of I think I mentioned this in the last episode, uh, but right reminds me a little bit of Gandalf's line. You know, the one about um, all all we can do is uh, oh yeah, deal with uh, I can't remember how he says it, but you know, make sure that future generations have good earth to till, but there will always be an evil spirit, something like that. Yeah, there will always be. It's not our, it's not up to us to determine the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah, I the, think the, it was in the last episode. Go listen yeah. to that last episode. If you haven't seriously, if you haven't listened to the last episode, please yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now the, not only is the will of Morgoth still around, but now the elves have left and the Valor mm-hmm. have forsaken men. And now even the good men have gone. Well, yeah. So by the way, the next time a friend asks you where have all the good men gone, you can just tell them Numenor. Um, <clears throat> but it does kind of leave these guys in a bind, doesn't it? They've gone west. They've gone. Numenor. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, what a brutal world this is. This is, you I know, mean, truly, truly. It, I mean, it's, it brings yeah. me back to something else from last episode. Remember when we were, well, actually, I think it was from two episodes ago when we were talking about Tuor and how he, uh, the reminder, you know, when he was a thrall and he was pushing the, mm-hmm. you, were, you were thinking of the tie in with Conan, you know, the barbarian. Oh, yeah, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. Having yeah. to push the, the wheel of pain. The wheel of pain, um, yeah. And and that's kind of what this makes me think. This is this is that really dark world. I mean, this yeah, is a it is a, it is a dark age. You brutal, know, I mean, and, yeah, un, unenlightened, uneducated, uninformed yeah. world. I mean, we we see that, uh, the, you know, the men are are wild and lawless. Uh, they're just wandering. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah, a, this a is, bad time to be around. This is a this is a post apocalyptic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in our, in our modern yes. parlance, this is kind of a a post apocalyptic world. You know, civilization yeah. has fallen. Um, and, um, it's not, well, it probably is pretty Mad Max-ish actually without yeah, all the I was cars. Like fallout, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, it's that it's, you know, it's civilization has fallen. Is gone, all the good yeah. people have gone and all that's left are these, you know, these warlords and criminals that are just going to use power yeah, to, absolutely. Um, to, to, to rule it, lord it over others, you know? Absolutely. Well, fortunately that's not the case for all men. So we're yeah. going to, we're going to see what happens with the good ones. I'm going to go ahead and pick up uh, about halfway through this, this paragraph. Okay. When, therefore, Morgoth had been thrust forth, they, that's the Valar, they held counsel concerning the ages that should come after. The Eldar they summoned to return into the west, and those that hearkened to the summons dwelt in the isle of Aresia, and there is in that land a haven that is named Avalone, for it is of all cities the nearest to Valinor. And the tower of Avalone is the first sight that the mariner beholds, when at last he draws nigh to the undying lands over the leagues of the sea." To the fathers of men of the three faithful houses, rich reward also was given. Aonwe came among them and taught them, and they were given wisdom and power and life more enduring than any others of mortal race have possessed. A land was made for the Adine to dwell in, neither part of Middle-earth nor of Valinor, for it was sundered from either by a wide sea, yet it was nearer to Valinor. It was raised by Ose out of the depths of the great water, and it was established by Aule, and enriched by Yavanna. And the Eldar brought thither flowers and fountains out of Toleresia. That land the Valar called Andor, the land of gift, and the star of Eärendil shone bright in the west as a token that all was made ready and as a guide over the sea. And men marveled to see that silver flame in the paths of the sun. Hmm. Well. That's a nice reward. Isn't it? And it's a huge reward. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I noticed they didn't just get the land. They got wisdom and power mm-hmm. and life more enduring. And long life. Yep. Yep. How'd you like to open that up for Christmas? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is, I mean, this is the, 
this is the pinnacle, you know, this is the yeah. most that, that, that men could hope to attain. Seriously. Um, and this is, you know, this is in recognition of the, the great deeds they did in the first age, all that great mm-hmm. stuff we've spent the last few episodes talking about. This is their reward. Um, you've earned it. Yeah. That men would sacrifice yeah. their lives when they have such a short one on earth. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I keep coming back to that. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. So, um, incredible stuff. Avalone, uh, interesting. It's called that because it's the nearest to Valinor. So do you have any word nerdery on that? Cause I don't. <laughs> oh, I've got some, uh, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> of course you do. I, I haven't, I haven't quite parsed out exactly. I, I had a little trouble finding like exactly what each root means. I mean, you know, it tells us that it's nearest to Valinor. So that okay, must so maybe mean something the VAL, like, the VAL I think the part? VAL is definitely, um, is definitely, you know, Valinor. So like uh, Aval or, or Valor is like yeah. near. Yeah. I'm guessing, I'm guessing a is near uh, in this yeah. case. Um, I, I wonder if the, the Lone is somehow related to Londe, you know, like Aqualonde, Haven. Mm-hmm. Haven um, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Um, so Could yeah, I, I don't really have anything definitive in Quenya, but <laughs> here's my favorite word nerd bit about this is, um, do you remember Gnome a few cha- uh, yeah, chapters yeah, back? Yeah, yeah We I talked do. about, you know, N-O- N-O-M, sort of, right. N-O-M, yeah. Um, and we talked about that being sort of like the, the real story between the idea that the Noldor were gnomes. Right. Um, I think what we've got here is another case of Tolkien giving us the real story behind um, a real world legend. Oh. Uh, I mean, I think that the name... sounds a little like Avalon, eh? Avalon. The, right. Right. Exactly. The island of Avalon, um, which if uh, if you know your Arthurian legend, that's where King Arthur goes to rest from his, you know, from his wounds after the last oh, battle that he fights. I was thinking if you know your Nat King Cole. <laughs> Or Led Zeppelin. That's true. That's or Roxy true. Music, I think. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. That's a good one. Um, no, it's all right. Um, Got to get a few music references in. Um, there you go. But yeah, so, you know, there's this, there's this island of Avalon that King right. Arthur goes to. Um, and there's this question, you know, is he still alive there? Could he possibly return someday? And I think that's, I think what Tolkien is doing with this name, he gives it a Quenya name. But he makes right. it very similar to the name that we know. Just and, like uh, just like Gnome. Just like Gnome, yeah. And just like we'll, we'll see elsewhere in this chapter. Um, but I think, uh, I think that that is very intentional on Tolkien's part. Um, he actually even um, compares the Undying Lands to Avalon in um, part of uh, the famous Milton Waldman letter that oh we love to quote from. That letter is like yeah. a book of its own. Oh, it's incredible, yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, the the part that I'm thinking of isn't published in the letters, uh, but it is conveniently published in History of Middle-Earth, Volume 9, um, where, and basically Tolkien had said to Milton Waldman, to Bilbo and Frodo, the special grace is granted to go with the elves they loved, an Arthurian ending, in which it is, of course, not made explicit whether this is an allegory of death or a mode of healing and restoration leading to a return. Wow. So he just flat out says it's an Arthurian ending. Very flat out says that Bilbo and Frodo's ending going to the Undying Lands is an Arthurian ending. But of course we know they don't go to just the Undying Lands. They go go to Toloresia where there's a city called Called Avalone. Avalone. Right. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's, you know, again, you know, we talked about even the name Arendil. You know, he sees this. Mm -hmm. This name that he wants to use, he has to give it its own meaning, of course, and and here the and meaning is something like near. right, right, yep, um, and here that meaning is something like near Valinor, but he he leaves it open for us to interpret it um, as yeah. the real Avalon uh, behind the Arthurian myth, and I think that that's, that's awesome. 
that's just really it's just so significant because we're again we're at this managed point of view and and here we're you know this is these are the stories that our ancestors are our stories right these are our stories these are our this is our prehistory well and that's good Um, because you know we're we're kind of getting another one next time we're going to get another one in the second (laughs) half real real big one yeah man it's another example of how well he mixes these myths together seamlessly really Really is yeah yeah. Um, and you can't extract. I mean, you can't just say, oh, this is Avalon. It's not that no, simple. It's, no, it isn't. This is this is what our ancestors were thinking of when they yes, wrote the story. That's of a better way of putting it. They were actually, yeah. you know, they were remembering this somewhere in the mists of our past. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Brilliant so cool. stuff. Really yeah. is. Um, so we get obviously the land as a reward. Um, I still I'm just stunned. Wisdom and power and life. They didn't get just one. They get all three. And it's still not going to be enough. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Man. I know. Um, and or, is, you know, Aonway yeah. teaches them. That's actually really interesting because we always talk about how the exposure to the elves um, ennobled yeah. men. But yeah. here this is uh, this, you know, the most powerful about, of the Maya, really. Yeah. Yeah. Th- we talked about, you know, the Maya juice. This is like the undistilled. Yeah. This is the serious stuff. Yeah. This guy. I mean, remember, he's the one who's. Uh, what is it, more skilled at arms than any in Arda? I mean, in other words, yeah. if it came down to a one-on-one battle, he's really he's gonna even up, uh, up there with the Valar. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if it's yeah. just a wrestling match, I'll take Tolkas for, for 20 bucks. But uh, Sure. Yeah. But skill <laughs> of arms. Marshall, you know? Right. Skill of arms. Whole different ballgame. Yeah. And that is saying something. Cool but, stuff. So he, he comes in and, and teaches them. I mean, you know, remember when men first came on the scene, Finrod came in and taught them. Right. This is a step up. As much as we love Finrod, this is a step up. Oh, this is a big step up for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they get the land. It's called Andor, or the, the land, land of gift. gift. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't want <laughs> but, any but I land. Don't want land. <laughs> <laughs> I just rather, I'd rather sing. Rather live forever. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. I love we were both right there with that. Seriously. Oh man. I. I just want to live forever. I love that. But who wants to live forever? Who wants to live forever? That's all I could think of. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe this should. Yeah. We've got some more queen references, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, So men see the star. I love this. So, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, they see it in the paths of the sun. They see it during the daylight. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, But of course we can see Venus, you know, shortly after the evening star, the morning star and daylight. Yeah, absolutely. You really can. Yeah, um, it is the. I mean, it is the brightest. Mm-hmm. It's not really a star, but no, I mean, it is. It's the, it's the brightest the thing in the sky, object, except yes. for except for the sun and the moon. Right. Yeah. Good old number three. We try harder. So, <laughs> uh, let me have considering you it's that. just a guy in a boat. Number three is pretty good. <laughs> Come on, it's, a, it's just a guy in a Give boat. Give my man some credit here. Really? I mean, sure, it's a boat covered with dust that reflects the massive light of the uh, silver. <laughs> the massive light that he wears on his forehead. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's still. just like a mobile lighthouse, yeah. really. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, All right. Let me have you take that next paragraph before we say something right. we really would regret. All right. Then the Adine set sail upon the deep waters, following the star. And the Valar laid a peace upon the sea for many days, and sent sunlight and a sailing wind, so that the waters glittered before the eyes of the Adine like rippling glass. Mm. And the foam flew like snow before the stems of their ships. But so bright was Rothinzil that even at morning, men could see it glimmering in the west, and in the cloudless night it shone alone, for no other star could stand beside it. Well, there you go. It was the brightest in the sky. Yeah. Um, 
And setting their course towards it, the Adine came at last over leagues of sea, and saw afar the land that was prepared for them, Andor, the land of gift, shimmering in a golden haze. Then they went up out of the city, and found a country fair and fruitful, and they were glad. And they called that land Elena, which is starwards, but also Anadune, which is westerness, Numenore in the high Alderan tongue. My goodness. And by the way, I just want to note that Elena is Star Wars, Star Wars, not Star Wars. I just want to make sure because I almost read that as which is Star Wars. Oh, cool! Did I did I say Star no, Wars? No, or, no, no, no. I, I, I could read it that way. I know I frequently you frequently have. I frequently have Star Wars on the brain. And it's Andor, not Endor. So, yes, we've seen Endor. <laughs> we have seen Endor, and we've talked about Endor. Yeah. Ewoks yeah. everywhere, man. Those Ewoks <laughs> Those all over the Ewoks. Yeah. Uh, now I'm just getting that that music in my head. Yeah. That crazy and party music. And it's Anadune, not Arrakis Dune. <laughs> not Arrakis Death Dune. <laughs> not Anadune. <laughs> oh, goodness. oh goodness. So um I what a, you know, I don't think I think we didn't touch on this before, so I want to touch about it now because we're talking about the land, but um that it was raised by Ase, established by Aule, and enriched by Yavanna. We come back to that teamwork thing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I know that belongs to the last paragraph, but <laughs> since we're still talking about the land. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's such a we see that kind of thing all the time wherever yeah. there's, you know, more than one of them involved. It's a, it's usually a very important thing. Yeah. I, I do love also, these names. Also, yeah, and it's also interesting that it's it's we he talked about it's the mid basically the midpoint between Valinor yeah. and Middle Earth. Yeah. Not quite the midpoint. It's a little closer to Valinor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, there's that symbolic connection, you know, that link between. Absolutely. Um, the myth and in, in the in the real world. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. Uh, the names but are the beautiful. names. Oh, yeah, Elena, Andor, Anadune. Mm. Oh. Westerness is one that he mentions a lot in Lord of the Rings. I remember. Yeah, we see that a lot. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot, and um, you know, well, we, they don't refer to it as any of these anymore. No, <laughs> we'll no. find out what they refer to it as. <laughs> Next episode. Yeah. Um, and then just to give you a little context, uh, it took a few years for all this to happen. You know, we talked about the summons and then the raising of the land. This is mm-hmm. now 32 years after the overthrow of Thangorodrim. So it's second age. 32. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to kind of put so, that into place. So, wow. Yeah. There was almost a, almost yeah. a generation. Of, well, of, of normal men. Of, of, of nor- oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. I wonder where they were living. Yeah. Well, and how long did this journey? Well, the journey was boats. It wasn't like the uh, the journey of the elves when they were you know towed over on the island. Right. <laughs> this would have been a, yeah. a relatively short journey, especially with that kind of uh, that kind of weather with the the sailing Beautiful wind and the sailing wind. Oh, what a the... visual description that is! Oh the yeah, rippling glass and the foam, the foam flying flew like, like snow. snow. Mm, it's beautiful, gorgeous. You can just envision that and and, and the land ahead beautiful. shimmering in a gil- uh, in a golden haze. Oh. And the bright star, even in the daylight and the, the cloudless night, it's so bright that you can't even see the other stars. That's certainly mm-hmm. brighter than Venus is now. That's awesome. Yeah. What a picture that That's is. That's true. Yeah. So there they finally get to the land, and we're going to find out a little bit more about them and, and about the land itself. Uh, so I'm going to okay. go ahead and take this next paragraph. This was the beginning of that people that in the gray elven speech are called the Dunedine, the Numenorians, kings among men. But they did not thus escape from the doom of death that Iluvatar had set upon all mankind. And they were mortal still, though their years were long, and they knew no sickness ere the shadow fell upon them. Can't have good things. <laughs> no, can't have good things <laughs> That's at all. foreboding. Not foreboding at all. 
Therefore they grew wise and glorious, and in all things more like to the firstborn than any other of the kindreds of men. And they were tall, taller than the tallest of the sons of middle earth, and the light of their eyes was like the bright stars. But their numbers increased only slowly in the land. For though daughters and sons were born to them, fairer than their fathers, yet their children were few. A lot of stuff to unpack here, really. Quite a bit, yeah. Um, the Numenorians and the Dunedain, right? We've heard Dunedain, even if you've, if you've never read the Silmarillion before, you've heard of the Dunedain because you've read the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, if you've even seen the movie, you know, the Peter Jackson movie, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's in there. Yeah. Oh, he's one of the Dunedain. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm 87. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not old. I still... Yeah, <laughs> there's a I, match I, I still know <laughs> that whole Eowyn soup scene. Oh man, that thing! I just come on. <laughs> she can she can cook soup. I'm seriously. Sure she can come soup. on, anybody can cook. I can soup. cook soup. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing. I would get it if she like brought a souffle over and it had fallen. Like, you know, right, right. I understand yeah, exactly. that if if she's trying yeah. to make baked Alaska and she, she can't find baking, the yeah. <laughs> okay, I get baked that. The, Baked a cake, and it's not a perfect likeness of Viggo Mortensen. Sure. Okay, fine. But soup, come on. <laughs> All anyway. I had was, was buttercream frosting. I didn't have any fondant, <laughs> so what could I do? What could I do? <laughs> um, the men are more... <laughs> this is... One of us needs to get serious, at least, so that we can get through this. Anyway. Oh, I, why? This story's serious enough. <laughs> I know. That's true. We've, it'll be... I, I'm actually looking forward to getting to The Hobbit, only because it'll be nice to have some happiness and joy. It will, yeah, that's true. It'll be nice to have something a little bit lighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been pretty heavy stuff uh, the last. It's been you know, pretty brutal for the last few months. months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, so the the men are Real still speckin'. the more are the men are still mortal, and I love this little little tidbit that we find out. I mean, obviously, it's foreboding about that you know, air the shadow fell upon them, but they didn't even know sickness. So even though yeah. they were mortal, and could die of old age. They weren't dying of, of, of cancer or of heart disease right. or of, you know, influenza or anything. They didn't get sick. Right. right. Um, yeah. How amazing yeah. is that? Oh, it's um, incredible. I mean, it's this. Well, this is a few other things. I mean, it's. Oh, yeah. They're. The they're, height, they're, the fact that they're taller than, than the yeah, tallest. Right. We all know that tall people get the best jobs. So, yeah. you know, it's no wonder they're successful. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Is this well, where I follow my all sword? the best jobs, Alan. Come on, I got this job co-hosting this podcast with you. <laughs> well, we've got faces for radio. What can I say? <laughs> oh goodness, this is where I follow my sword publicly. I, I mentioned last week that I thought Arnold was, or not last week, last episode that uh, Arnold was short. When we were talking about the Conan thing, he's not. He's six two. I was thinking of Sylvester Stallone, who's like five eight or five nine. So um, yeah, and I think my response was. Five eight or five nine looks pretty tall to me. So <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Oh goodness! But anyway, I just wanted to fix that because I didn't want Arnold coming after me. Yeah, yeah uh, sure. in his Humvee. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, last time I he talked could, to he him, could he could drive to you. Yeah, he could. He the could last time down. I talked to him, he told me he'd be back. <laughs> <laughs> Did he give you the thumbs up as he there you go into the lava? There you go. All right. We, we got to okay. get back on track. <laughs> so I did notice, though, that mortality had been mentioned again. You know, they, they, oh, the, the, yeah, they're mortal. Mentioned. They didn't escape the doom of death. It's almost like Tolkien's trying to tell us something. Almost. Um, yeah. Almost. Yeah, he, 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 it's true. He keeps dropping this word mortal in yeah, there. Yeah. And he does yeah. know what it means. Um, oh, yeah. The, the children <laughs> but, are interesting. But, 
Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Well, yeah. Well, you're you were starting to talk about these, you know, the the no sickness, the tallness, yeah. um, the eyes light like of bright their eyes. Stars. That made me think yeah. of like the the way everybody else would see the Noldor. You know, when right. they when they were in right. exile in Middle Earth, it's like, whoa, you're something special. Right. Exactly. That, that and gift then, is being given to these guys. Yeah. Exactly. And then you, I think you were about to talk about the children, the, yeah. the few children. Remember, yeah. elves don't have many children. That's exactly Feanor right. Feanor and Nerdanel accepted. Well, yeah. Um, but, Seven uh, kids, man. I know. Wow. Yeah, can't imagine. But it's it's just it occurs to me that all of these are elf like characteristics, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. That's where I was and, headed with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, you know, men can't be given immortality. But no. But they can be the given Valar a lot of other things. Or Iluvatar is is doing as much as possible to make them as elf like as possible. It's, it uh, sure seems I mean, that way. They are rewarding them not only with you know land and wisdom, right. but with you know, just stature um, and and stature. the light in their eyes yeah. and the yeah. so much something in their with something in their bodies. You know, yeah, yeah. There really is a genetic element to this. You know, and yeah, that's, that's why a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that's really hard coded in their DNA now, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. that you know comes through uh, the elven blood, but also the Maiar blood uh, that's yeah. in their that's in their uh, strain. So, yeah. But, you know, so this. Re- go ahead. I'm so sorry. Big, no, it's a big reward. I mean, it, it it's is. a really significant reward. It is. And in fact, it's a reward that ends up backfiring, as we'll see, because like mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, it's just not enough. Um, Tolkien mentioned this directly in the, the famous letter 131 that we keep citing, <laughs> the letter to Milton Waldman. We should just like put that on our walls or something because we reference it so often. We, we probably um, should. He says that reward on Earth is more dangerous for men than punishment. And in, in mm. reference to the Numenorians specifically, he says that their reward is their undoing or the means of their temptation. And, wow. and how true is that? I mean, it's it seems like the the more you get, the less satisfied the you are want. and the more you mm-hmm. want. Yeah. Yeah. They so, just can't get enough. Exactly. So we end up with a doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop-doop. So we get a little geography. We'll just skim some of these next sections. We get a description of the the land itself, the Menel Tarma in the middle, the Pillar of Heaven. And in this text, it's described that there's this high place that was hallowed to Ero Iluvatar, open and unroofed, and there was no other temple or fane, which is like a shrine in the land. That's really interesting, and, and, and I want to touch on that. Um, we talk sometimes about religion, and we haven't really talked about religion in depth since Eindelindale. Uh Well, mm-hmm. scratch that, at least since the festival that Manway arranged um, uh, that, when he invited oh, Feanor. Oh, sure, yeah. That ended yeah. so well. Right. Um, so I wanted to do a, a quick sidebar. Right, well, because we haven't seen, I mean, there really isn't much no, of it in the Quintus there, there. We're almost there taking us back to that thing about, you know, Reverence versus worship. Exactly. And that's kind of the point. I don't think there's a, there's not supposed to be that. You know, this mm-hmm. is all a kind of a pre-religious society, and we're starting mm-hmm. to see a little of that evolve here. Uh, okay. But it's, it's an interesting subject, and I think people often ask questions about it, sometimes because they like seeing connections with Tolkien's worldview or sometimes because they really don't like religion in the book, and so <laughs> they want to find out how they can kill it. Um, right. But, you know, it's here, so let's just address it. Um, I'm going to start with a quote from letter 153. We've we've quoted from this before when it comes to either religious issues or, or uh, death specifically. I think we probably referenced it in, in episode uh, 10. Uh, it's the letter that he wrote to that manager of a Catholic bookstore. The ca- okay, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it includes a lot on the topic. But here's the quote mm-hmm. from that letter that, that addresses this. First he says, The Numenorians and others of that branch of humanity that fought against Morgoth, even if they elected to remain in Middle-earth and didn't go to Numenor, such as the Rohirrim, were pure monotheists. 
But there was no temple in Numenor until Sauron introduced the cult of Morgoth. Well, there's our spoiler. Um, <laughs> the top of the mountain, the mental tarma or pillar of heaven, was dedicated to Eru, the one. And there at any time privately, and at certain times publicly, God was invoked, praised, and adored, an imitation of the Valar and the mountain of Amon. Now, that last little bit's interesting, too. That means that there's some sort of worship going on in Valinor. Um, we just aren't ever really seeing oh, it. Oh, right. Right, because it's an imitation of what the Valar do in, in the mountain of Amon. Right. But we get something else interesting, that the good men, not just the Numenorians, but any of them that fought against Morgoth, so the Rohirrim, they were all pure monotheists, but just no structure of worship. There's a, there's a place so there's, of worship. there's no church. There's no temple. Exactly. There's, there's no temple. Mm-hmm. There's no shrine. There's no church. Um, there's there's really, here at least, there's nothing to describe a, um, uh, a worship ceremony or anything like that. There's just a place of worship, the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just as our and, venture— And you said that, at any time privately and at certain times publicly. So it's as much yeah. a, like a personal— sh- yeah, shrine like a, is, except not you know, a shrine. Like, There's no structure. Right, I know. A, right, exactly. Like a, a personal retreat. place of reflection um, or something. Yeah, yeah. A place uh, of reflection is a good way to As much that. as it is a place for organized ceremony. Exactly. And yet we do get some organized ceremony. And that's where, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we, okay. we went into Unfinished Tales a couple episodes for Tour to really help us get a grasp on that chapter in the Silmarillion. I'm going to do the same thing here. In um, part two of Unfinished Tales, section one, uh, a description of the island of Numenor we get this following description of the top of the mental tarma and the things that took place there. Okay. I think I remember this. Yeah, and it's really interesting, so take a listen. For the summit was somewhat flattened and depressed and could contain a great multitude, but it remained untouched by hands throughout the history of Numenor. No building, no raised altar, not even a pile of undressed stones ever stood there, and no other likeness of a temple did the Numenorians possess in all the days of their grace, until the coming of Sauron. There no tool or weapon had ever been born, and there none might speak any word save the king only. Thrice only in each year the king spoke, offering prayer for the coming year at the Eru Kirme in the first days of spring, praise of Eru Iluvatar at the Eru Laitale, I'm sorry, the Eru Laitale, Laitale. That's a hard word to say. I'm going to say it again. That, that's, that's a tough one. Good. Kudos to you for Erulaitale in midsummer and Thanksgiving to him at the Eruhantale at the end of autumn. Before we go wow. on, you've got those, some. Those word, are cool. No, those are just cool those words. words? And, yeah. And um, I mean, you can almost. So, uh, Laitale, Erulaitale yeah. is the praise, That's the right? One, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, because there's that Alaitate, Alaitate at the end of uh, mm-hmm. Return of the King. Praise them with great praise. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's one of those. I, I always love when you can see that. That Quenya root, and you can see <laughs> Isn't what it that means. awesome? Um, and yeah, I mean, you got you got Eru at the beginning of each one of yeah, these. Yeah, so, so each one of these. So that's praise Eru, mm-hmm. and we've got Eru Hantale, which is thanks mm-hmm. to Eru. And I'm Eru sure Kierme, Han- I'm sure is, that Hanta root must be in something else. It I can't must think be. Of anything, I can't. But... I couldn't find anything on on that one or the first one, which is Eru Kierme, which is a prayer, prayer to Eru. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not surprising since prayer is something that is really never mentioned. So right, uh, right. it's not surprising we don't anyway. find that word. But yeah, um, but very they, very cool words though. Yeah. They really are. And then they just he describes the actual ceremony itself. He says that uh, that at these times the king ascended the mountain on foot, followed by a great concourse of the people clad in white and garlanded, but silent. At other times, the people were free to climb to the summit alone or in company. But it is said that the silence was so great that even a stranger ignorant of Numenor and all its history, if he were transported thither, 
would not have dared to speak aloud. No bird ever came there, save only eagles. If anyone approached the summit, at once three eagles would appear and alight upon three rocks near to the western edge. But at the times of the three prayers, they did not descend, remaining in the sky and hovering above the people. They were called the Witnesses of Manway, and they were believed to be sent by him from Amman to keep watch upon the holy mountain and upon all the land. So there's a pretty lengthy description mm, wow. of yeah. the religious ceremony, how it's done, when it's done, mm-hmm. three times a year. So first days of spring, midsummer, and at the end of autumn. Um, really cool. And I love the eagles. I mean, how cool yeah. is it that Manway sends the eagles to observe all of this? I the mean, I Witnesses of Manway. That's the, really cool. Yeah, capitalized. The, whole... the Witnesses of Manway. Yeah. There's a band the... name for you. The Witnesses <laughs> of Manway go, will yeah. be opening tonight. The witnesses of, I saw Witnesses of Manway. Man, they're amazing. Um, <laughs> they did yeah, that that's... Three Prayers. What a cool song that is. Oh, it's such a great song. Yeah, it's like 45 <laughs> minutes of just music. No, no words. Total um, prog rock, a, man. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's uh, it's really beautiful. I mean, it, it it's something... What I love about it is, you know, you talk about it being a, a pre, the first age, I think you were saying, was a pre-religious world. And this is right. a world that's sort of gaining religion. But this is still religion at its simplest, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It? I mean, it, it's There's something, something very pure, very um, yeah, kind of back well, to basics, really. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. And it's sort of, it's sort of embracing nature, embracing, embracing yeah. the greatness of, of this creation. Yeah. The top um, of the mountain is the cathedral. You know, this is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a place yeah. of beauty, and it's a place of reflection, and it's a, and um, a tranquility. A the, the tranquility, tranquility here is, is is incredible, and I think you know, true to Tolkien's aim, this is a, something that a person who is not the least bit religious could appreciate yeah. because oh, it's absolutely. just tranquil. It's the kind of place that you, it's like you know, I, I I never climbed a mountain, but <laughs> it's the kind of place you can imagine <laughs> climbing to the top of and just looking around and thinking. Wow! Yeah, the world is an amazing place. You know, it is. And and you know, when you get to the top of some, I've I've not really cl- I'm not a mountain climber. You've you've seen me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> me not a either, climber. man. I'm yeah. No, I've never but done it. I, I remember one time when we went to uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. We we did climb a little hill that's uh, overlooking the Continental Divide, and it's something at like fourteen thousand feet or something ridiculously high. Okay. Um, we were silent because he couldn't catch a breath. It was totally. I mean, was, <laughs> That's the real reason nobody spoke at the top exactly. of the Exactly. <laughs> like, we just walked up here. I can't say anything. <laughs> but, you, you know, you're looking down on these mountains that are all 12,000 feet, feet high. You know, you're looking across the, yeah. the Rockies. And, yeah, that is the feeling you get. There's something absolutely and deeply awe-inspiring. Yeah. Um, you know, again, like you said, whether you come from a Christian worldview like Tolkien uh, and think of it in the context of, wow, this is, you know, what an amazing creation. The greatness of God's or if creation. You just, right, or, or if, if you just come to it from a, of, yeah. of, of earth, you know, of just, yeah. uh, you know, what what uh, what an awe-inspiring view it is. Right. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's another example of, of Tolkien being able to take his worldview and, and you know, inject Create it in such a way. Create something that reaches across. Exactly. That, that others, crosses yeah. that divide. And, you know, that makes sense because he'd said all along, and we go all the way back to, I think, our first episode for this, that um, his whole problem with the Arthurian legends being the legends for England was that it had explicit ties to Christianity. Right. Uh, And he's talking about something that needs to have taken place long before that. Mm -hmm. So he knows that in in creating a myth that that covers this back time, uh, you know, it it can't be explicitly, um, you know, uh, tied into the Christian religion or to to any existing religion. Right. Um, but I love that. 
Beautiful yeah. stuff. So thank really you cool. for letting Glad me you engage that. in that sidebar. That you t- that you unfinished tales portion was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. Thank you. No problem. So we get uh, what a little bit more of the the geography of the island. We get the tombs of the kings. We get the fact that so they're, the um, they're right at the foot of the mountain. Exactly. And, and so Everything's the kings, all in the middle. Everything's on the middle of this island, right? Yeah. It's shaped like yeah. a starfish, well, kind of. And yeah, look at look at the map. I mean, it is shaped like a star. These five peninsulas mm-hmm. radiating out from the middle, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it, it would make geographical and I imagine strategic sense. Not that they have any enemies that are coming after no. them, but. Um, but, you know, to put the, the capital right there at the middle, the capital of Armenolos. Yep. Uh, and there's a, the citadel of Elros is there. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. The text says, let's see, where is it here? Whom the Valar appointed to be the first king of the Dunedain. Now, that, Boy, that's, that's yeah. some authority right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This isn't Elros coming along saying, I name this unto myself. And I name right. This unto myself. This is yeah. the Valar saying, yo, here's your king right here. This guy. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. It's like, you know, so so many of the, you know, the medieval kings that claim to rule by the right of God. But this is, you know, a, yeah, a, a God way. actually a God actually picked you and said, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, you. And people were present. People, there were witnesses. To yeah, it. exactly. Not like, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about it that way, but. Um, so we get a, a brief mention of the, the gift of death again. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's it's yep. put in the context of telling us that, you know, Elrond and Elros get to choose uh, what they wanted. We find out that Elros lived 500 years and that he wow. ruled the Numenorians for 410 of those years. Wow. So um, that brings us back to the timeline, uh, which tells us then that uh, it was Second Age 442 when he died. Wow. So, That's incredible. <laughs> that is really incredible. 410. Ten yeah. years as king. Yeah. Are we ever going to have an election? <laughs> <laughs> Why is he still king? Man, you, don't vote, you don't well, vote I didn't for vote a king. For him. <laughs> you don't vote for a king. Don't vote How do you for become king, king then? The Manway, <laughs> king of the Valar, dressed oh, in man. shimmering blue. Yeah, gave me a sword. Watery Game. kings throwing swords doesn't sound like a basis. Airy king, airy kings. Harry <laughs> King's sitting on mountains distributing swords. Wearing blue. <laughs> Same outfit every yeah. day. No basis for a system of government. Which should, I, should I wear blue? Should I wear blue? Should I wear blue? Should, should I wear blue or blue? I'll, I'll wear blue today. Hey, Varda, what do you think? Blue? <laughs> oh, Sulimo. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, <laughs> let me have you take the next little passage. We're going we're gonna to talk here about the glory days of Numenor. So there's mm-hmm. our Bruce Springsteen reference. Yeah. Um. <laughs> nice. Very well done. Yeah. So we're talking about as so uh, the, the first sentence I won't read, but basically Middle Earth is continuing Dark to ages. progress. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and the Dunedain and Numenor are continuing to increase in stature. Mm-hmm. For though this people used still their own speech, their kings and lords knew and spoke also the elven tongue, which they had learned in the days of their alliance. And thus they held converse still with the Eldar whether of Aresia or of the Westlands of Middle-earth. And the lore-masters among them learned also the high Eldarin tongue of the Blessed Realm, in which much story and song was preserved from the beginning of the world. And they made letters and scrolls and books, and wrote in them many things of wisdom and wonder in the high tide of their realm, hmm. of which all is now forgot. So it came to pass that, beside their own names, all the lords of the Numenorians had also Eldarin names, 
and the like with the cities and fair places that they founded in Numenor and on the shores of the hither lands. My goodness. So, so that's that's why I had yep. you read that because it mentioned languages. I thought, oh, yes. well, hey, I'm going to have my word nerd friend here tell us. Yeah, about you know, that. You, you know me well. I do. Um, yeah, three languages. I mean, yeah. so the the common man, so to speak, is speaking Adonaic. Right. Um, and then, um, you know, the 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 kings and the rulers, the lords, all sp- all speak Sindarin. Um, mm-hmm. And then the lore master is also no Quenya. Yeah. And Pretty that's amazing. where and Quenya. Now we're seeing Quenya really. We saw this some in the first stage, but now we're really seeing how Quenya sort of steps into this role as sort of the language of lore, yeah, exactly, um, and history, and uh, and Sindarin is still a, a language of uh, of again of, of sort of the ennobled pieces people mm-hmm. <laughs> pieces the ennobled people. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean you know remember we've talked about how language is culture, language is sort of a telegraph for culture, right? Um, so you know Elvish language is sort of a, a sign of Elvishness, um, then. That tells us that the kings and lords are a little bit more elvish than the common man of Numenor, and and right. I think that just that just reminds me of one of my favorite themes, which is the theme of ennoblement that uh, we talk about throughout. Love that, love that theme. Yeah, yeah, and this idea that you know those with that elvish strain and you know the Maya strain also but are yeah. the ones that are most fit to rule. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, it's just a just a subtle reminder of the the, the little difference in uh, you know sort of uh, stature between the lords mm-hmm. of Numenor and, and the most of the Numenorians. Yeah. Well, they better make sure that that uh, that Thingol's okay with them speaking Quen. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, he's <laughs> he's okay with it. <laughs> his his dwarf stabbed body is at the bottom of the Great Sea now. So. Stop talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> this used to be in Beleriand. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can't. Oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> So. You'd have to shout pretty loud to get yeah. his voice over those waves. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> oh, actually, man. no. By now, he might he might actually be in the halls of Mandos. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's shouting at them from the west. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I can hear you from here. <laughs> yeah, you're. Be- uh, anyway, he's calling him up by Palantir. Seriously, I heard um, you guys. My goodness. So. I love this bit about story and song preserved from the beginning of the world. Mm-hmm. That tells us, again, this is part of that, uh, you know, the backstory to the story itself, right? How did we get this? How did we get the Silmarillion? Well, because oh, right. some of this yeah, was preserved yeah. from the beginning of the world. Now, um, that stuff somehow made it around, but all the uh, things of wisdom and wonder from the high tide of their realm yeah. is now forgot. Yeah, um, but, you can imagine some of those things that that are mentioned in the Quinta, like the Noldalante and things like that, that are yeah. lost. You know, would have been would have been in there. Would have been lost. It's it's almost like the you know the the library at Alexandria or something. That's you know, exactly what I was thinking. That's lost. That's interesting because we've talked uh, off air, and we're going to talk again uh, later about how, in some ways, the Numenorians really are um, inspired by the Egyptian culture. So the no, fact yeah, that you talk true. about the Library of Alexandria is sort of ironic, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. They're, they're not, it's not like they are Egypt. I mean, like no, we talked about, no, you can't look at the bones and, not, and look at a one-to-one relationship, but uh, you'll see later the way they do their tombs that it starts to yeah. seem a little uh, A little bit Egyptian, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and we'll see. talk about, I mean, there's, there's there's lots of things in there. You know, we talked about, you know, oh, the, yeah. 
the Roman Empire, oh, things yeah. like that. That, and I'll I'll even mention some of that later. Yeah, so. I was going to say. I think uh, I, I know what section you're going to probably mention that because I'm thinking about the same thing. <laughs> um, so mighty and craft, we see in the next paragraph, they've got this potential to dominate. They're, they 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 could have done anything they wanted, but they were men of peace, uh, and they end up becoming mariners whose like will never be seen again. So, mm-hmm. um, but but where can they sail? So now we're going to get to the thorn in the side of men. <laughs> and then I'll take the next uh, next little bit here. There's one thing wrong. That's there's, right. There's, there's one only little thing. one thing. Yeah. Don't eat from this tree. Wait, no, right. it's not that. <laughs> but boy, isn't it? I mean, is this is yeah, this is really that same thing? Boy, you're like, right. It totally is. Yeah. yeah you've, you've got you can do anything else. You're living you in a paradise. You can do anything you want except exactly. this one thing. Exactly. Exactly. You can do anything you want except one thing. But of course, mm-hmm. what are the one thing? What's the one thing they're going to want to do? The of thing course. they're not supposed to do. But the lords of Valinor forbade them to sail so far westward that the coasts of Numenor could no longer be seen. And for long the Dúnedain were content, though they did not fully understand the purpose of this ban. But the design of Manwë was that the Numenorians should not be tempted to seek for the blessed realm, nor desire to overpass the limits set to their bliss, becoming enamored of the immortality of the Valar and the Eldar and the lands where all things endure. For in those days Valinor still remained in the world visible, and there Iluvatar permitted the Valar to maintain upon earth an abiding place, a memorial of that which might have been if Morgoth had not cast his shadow on the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Wow. So the ban. Mm. Yeah, so they're forbidden to sail. Let's, let's break this down. So they're yeah. forbidden to sail beyond, they're forbidden to sail west beyond sight of the west coast of New York. Right, which is really not, actually. Really wouldn't. That actually well, might be kind of far because it's still a flat world. The earth is flat, right. I mean... That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, how far would that be? I don't know. I, I, I mean, we we know they can see the all the way to... Val- they can see all the way to Avalone from the top of the Mental Tarma, From right? the top so of the Mental Tarma, right. That's right. going to give them quite a bit of visibility. It wouldn't be... But it is... I think you're right. I think it would be kind of far because the earth is It'd flat. It would be farther than you and I would think of today. You know, right. because obviously yeah. with the, the curvature of the earth... Uh, yeah. you're, you're going to get to the point where you can't see the lands pretty darn quick. Right. Um, I mean, if I can't sail past, you know, where I can see the land, uh, here in California, I'm, I'm not going to make it very far out into the right. ocean. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> not making right. it to Hawaii. That's for sure. Right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting thing, but yeah, clearly they're not, they're not supposed to get any further. And the idea being that the closer they get, the more tempted they would be. The more perhaps. tempted they'll be. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I love this, not to overpass the limits set to their bliss. There are limits. Oh, yeah. And we'll get yeah. to some of that. We we really are going to spend some time talking about that a little bit later. So I don't want to yeah. dig in too deep now, but that's a really interesting thing to think about, that there there really are limits that are based on your nature as a man. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the heart of this story, isn't it? It really is. It really is. I mean, you know, uh, who was it that asked our question that ended up leading to episode 10? It was one of our our regular listeners, Allison. Mm. It was um, Allison, that's right. And, you know, I'm thinking we could have just told her, we'll just wait. <laughs> we would have been told to wait for 15 so much, months. Yeah, it is so but well this answered episode this, is yeah. really on, on, yeah, this really does touch a lot on what we spent a lot of time on, on in mm-hmm. episode 10 on, on the gift of death. So we're going to, we're going to yeah. get back to that. But for now, we just wanted to d- kind of define the ban, maybe uh, talk about what it required of the Numenorians, you know, you, you yeah. had a theory, maybe yeah. this was a misstep. Um, I, well, yeah, only because they, you know, they clearly don't understand the ban. Right. And, you know, these are, these are grown men, you yeah. know, uh, part of me wants to say, 
well, why didn't Manway just explain it to them? Yeah. Uh, and I, and I kind of feel like this could be a bit of a misstep on Manway's part. We see the Valar make mistakes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, maybe, uh, just a, 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 a band might've been fine if you explain it, just a little explanation on the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure the story would have ended up any differently, No. but, but it's, it does, it is one of those what if questions that makes me feel like, well, did, did the Valar underestimate men? And in so doing, did they, um, did they, underestimate did they kind of make things worse? The you know? nature of temptation. I mean, in other words, or underestimate. Yeah. you know, maybe it's, you can't say West at all or, or, you know, I mean, something, right. but yeah, I understand about the explanation. I remember seeing some discussions in, in forums and online groups about that before and like, well, it's not fair that they didn't tell them why, blah, blah. Well, you know, the thing is, eventually well, they do give them an explanation and you can see it that doesn't is true. satisfy them at all. That is um, true. Now that Granted, that the, the answer seed comes had, later, the bad seed had exactly. kind of grown. That's the thing. You, you do still have that what if because if they understood from the beginning, maybe that would have at least. I don't know that it would have changed maybe, the ending. It might have delayed. I don't think it. so. It might have delayed it. You know, yeah. they might have lasted a few more. Yeah, a couple more generations. Years. Yeah, yeah, a few more hundred um, years. Probably not a few more thousand years. Yeah, but a few yeah, more like hundred it, years it, would be just. A it few would kings. be interesting to know what a king as wise as Elros might, you know, somebody who was really good and really pure right. might have done, you know, with that knowledge, how he might have instructed. Yeah, how they people. could have exactly how they could have made it part of their instruction that they yeah. passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a what if it. It yeah. doesn't matter because no, it, you're right. <laughs> what story if? Well, is what Tolkien is, wrote it this have, way, right? Um, we have to accept the story for what it is. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. I, I do think it's it's worth noting the just the possibility that this is a possible misstep from the Valar. Yeah, we've um, seen it before. You mentioned you know you mentioned oh it's not fair the they should have told them. <laughs> the fact that it's not fair doesn't change the fact that it was still wrong for men to do what they did. That's correct. That's <laughs> and, correct. You know, that's that's kind of what this boils down Anybody to. Anybody who's a parent knows that the answer, because I told you so, is entirely valid. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't you sure, if you have the opportunity to explain yourself to your five year old, you go right ahead. But you shouldn't have to do so in order to get them to obey. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really what I'm thinking here. I'm picturing my five-year-old who's constantly, you know, I've, I've trained him now. He now knows that he needs to obey first, and then he can ask, why did I have him do that? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's five, so he doesn't always remember that. Um, but, yeah, it really is, it does kind of feel that way. Like, okay. And it, and it, and it, it works justify. for grown men, too. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, Sheridan and Kosh now for Babylon 5. There's like a whole, they have a whole, I, I don't have the art, you know, and they have like a whole argument, but. Um, I do remember that. I can't remember. <laughs> without explaining it. Up. <laughs> I'll have to find it. Well, you know, if, if, you, if you can't find it, Tom Hillman, well, I'm sure. <laughs> tell us all about he'll, it. He'll be right there with it for us. Yes, he will. Um, certainly the ban asked for for great trust from the Numenorians, right? Yeah. I mean, it, um, at the start, this seems reasonable. I mean, they just gave them this land. They just gave them all this rich reward. So that sort of trust you'd expect to see, um, but maybe not later. You know, and that's the problem is could they have established this trust in a way that it became culturally transmitted mm-hmm. you know, from generation to generation? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. But- yeah. Again, like give make give the rationale so that people can teach the rationale. Exactly. Like bake it into their philosophy. Teach the why. Teach the why. Teach the why. Very good. Um, okay. So let me have you. We're going to move along. I'm looking at our clock. Going. Are you kidding me? We're only like you know not even halfway through our outline, and we're an hour and fifteen into. We're this. close to halfway. 
Um, so I want to have you read uh, the next paragraph starting there with But the Wise. Okay. But the wise among them knew that this distant land was not indeed the blessed realm of Valinor, but was Avalone, the haven of the Eldar upon Eresia, easternmost of the undying lands. And thence at times the firstborn still would come sailing to Numenor in oarless boats, as white birds flying from the sunset. And they brought to Numenor many gifts, birds of song and fragrant flowers and herbs of great virtue. And a seedling they brought of Celeborn, the white tree that grew in the midst of Eresia, and that was, in its turn, a seedling of Galathilion, the tree of Tuna, the image of Telperion that Yavanna gave to the Eldar in the Blessed Realm. And the tree grew and blossomed in the courts of the king and Armenelos, Nimloth it was named, and flowered in the evening, and the shadows of night it filled with its fragrance. What a beautiful, beautiful paragraph. Yeah, it's a I cool love one. that. The, the birds of song, which we actually see quite a bit of in um, the the tale of uh, of Arendus and what's his name again? I can't oh remember. yeah, Alda- Aldarion. Aldarion. I couldn't remember his name for a moment. Yeah, uh, we see that, but yeah, the the flowers and the herbs and of course the white tree and yeah, I love that the the shadows of night it filled with its fragrance. What a yeah. beautiful picture. So cool. I I love these gifts. Um, oh, they're wonderful gifts. Just you know, uh, just the especially the tree <laughs> just you know yeah. that it's it's this reminder you know that even though the Numenorians can't be elevated um the elves are bringing you know immortal things down to them from the west and yeah. uh kind of a you know hey don't come to us but we'll come to you well, <laughs> we, we deliver we deliver we deliver, we deliver immortality we deliver the magic um <laughs> i think i think that's really cool it is it really is and you know, you guys know the history of this tree. I mean, you know, our listeners, whether they know it or not, if they've if they've read the Lord of the Rings, they know what eventually comes from Nimloth. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll talk yep. more about that at the end of Akalabeth. Yeah. Um, just stunning, beautiful stuff. It, it is interesting though that the tree was named after the first king's maternal grandmother. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The- <laughs> That's, that that, that yeah. does strike me as a little odd. Yeah, his uh, Elwing's. Elwing's. Yeah, it's Elwing's mother. mother. Yeah. 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 Hi, Grandma. You smell nice tonight. That's that is that's a little weird. Odd. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, but still. Well, I mean, you know, hey, the the, the tree that it came from was named after. That's true. Celeborn. That's true. <laughs> so, Nimloth's <laughs> uncle, I think we determined. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, really cool stuff. <laughs> Um, I'm going to skip the next chapter, next chapter, skip the next paragraph a little, or most of it. Um, but I do want to touch on one line before I, I grab the passage I want to read. And that's that these, these men that were, you know, uh, mariners, they sailed, they sailed all over Middle Earth. They actually got to the point where they were seeing the gates of morning in the East. Cause remember, this is still a flat earth. So right. they'd gone all the way around the continent. To the, all the way around. Basically to the edge of the earth, the to eastern the, edge to the of the earth. the eastern edge of the earth. And here they are almost to the west of the earth. Yeah. And they can't go any further west than they, they can go. go. further west. So they've explored everything. They've ex- yeah. Certainly wow. they've gone as far as they can to the west. And now they've gone all the way to the east. You can't go any further east without falling off, I guess. That's so cool. I mean, these guys were mariners, just the Seriously. best that have ever been seen. Boy, you're not kidding. Talk about being gone for a long time. Um. So, but, you know, needless to say, this brings them into contact with men of Middle-earth, and so that's where I'm going to go ahead and pick up. 
And coming among them, the Numenorians taught them many things, corn and wine they brought, and they instructed men in the sowing of seed and the grinding of grain, in the hewing of wood and the shaping of stone, and in the ordering of their life, such as it might be in the lands of swift death and little bliss. Then the men of Middle-earth were comforted, and here and there upon the western shores the houseless woods drew back, and men shook off the yoke of the offspring of Morgoth, and unlearned their terror of the dark. And they revered the memory of the tall sea-kings, and when they had departed they called them gods, hoping for their return. For at that time the Numenorians dwelt never long in Middle-earth, nor made there as yet any habitation of their own. Eastward they must sail, but ever west their hearts returned. Hmm. Love that wow. last line, too. So, Boy, isn't that telling? Yeah, ever, ever west their hearts returned. That's, yeah. That was home. That was? And, that was, and, and the furthest west was really where yeah, they, that's where what they, they really yearned for. To go. It's, 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 it's almost, there's a good thing there. You know, mm-hmm. they, they long to go home, but there's also that little sinister seed of that they still really want to go west. Yeah. That's very interesting. But I, I, I love... Oh, go ahead. No, I was about to say you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I, I love the interaction with uh, with the men of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talked a moment ago yeah. about how the 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 bad guys, you know, the ones who had right. followed Morgoth, went back to you know among the lesser men, and they you know kind of lorded, lorded it over them, them as yeah. tyrants. And and here, you know, these these sea kings from Numenor are coming over and and bringing technology and, yeah. and culture, corn and wine and and agriculture and and the grinding of grain, you know, it's, um, I love that the ordering of their life, such as it might be the in the ordering lands of, of their life. I love that. Little what, bliss. what is that? Yeah. What is the ordering of their life? Do you teach them how to balance a checkbook? I mean, what, what do you, <laughs> how to prioritize, you know, they, they taught probably, them uh, list management, like a, you know, a, <laughs> what? probably not far off. I mean, I think it is, it is get, a little you know, bit about, it you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a little bit about, you know, life is tough. Here's, yeah. some, here's some, some knowledge that can make it better, you know, yeah. to do the most you can with what you've got. And now what I love about this, and I, I talked to you a little bit about this, you know, um, sure. before we started recording, but, um, what's fascinating about this to me is so, okay, quick history lesson. I know we, yeah. we talk about the Anglo-Saxons and Tolkien's love of the Anglo-Saxons. Um, if anybody is not really clear who they were, they're basically, they were invaders from Germany who settled Great Britain after the Romans moved out, basically right. after the, the Roman Empire fell in the well, West, yeah. the Romans receded from Britain. And, um, you know, these these Germanic invaders came to, mm-hmm. to Britain. They were the, the ancestors of the English. Right. Um, but but they were they were very much like these men of Middle Earth in that they were um, sort of less um, advanced civilization that had taken over a place where, you know, maybe more advanced people had once walked. You know, it's. Um, Anglo-Saxon poetry has um, this this phrase uh, "enta yewerk," the work of giants. Um, wow. They talk about sometimes the Orthanc enta yewerk or the Eld enta yewerk. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I hope you are too, but um, I think you are. Uh, and yeah, it's this, there's basically it's this idea that there were there were all these Roman ruins all over the island of Great Britain, and the Anglo-Saxons, not really knowing where they came from or who could possibly build these things. They, they called them the work of giants. That was sort of the only explanation they could come up with. And uh, I bring that up just because it's a phrase that um, Tolkien was inspired by. Um, the, the name Ents comes from it. I'll just put that out there. That's um, we'll exactly talk about that what I wanted to time. mention, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Um, actually, Orthanc comes from that too, Orthanc, mm-hmm. yeah. Sauron's Tower. Um, but anyway, I mean, for, for purposes of this discussion, 
I think that's a little bit like what we have here. We have this less advanced civilization that is, you know, occupying lands um, or occupying the place, I guess, because Beleriand has sunk. But, you know, they're they're <laughs> true t- taking their place in, in, in Middle Earth society in uh, sort of on top of the pyramid of Middle Earth society um, mm-hmm. where more civilized people once walked, you know, I see. except unlike with the Anglo-Saxons here, the Numenorians actually come back and teach them. Oh, um, yeah. As opposed to, you know, the dark age that, you know, the, the age of relative uncivilization the Anglo-Saxons mm-hmm. lived in. I just, I can't help feeling like this would be, this is a little bit like if the Romans had come back and taught the Anglo-Saxons. My goodness. You know, yeah. imagine if the Romans had come, if, the, if there were Romans if to come. If there were Romans left, right. I guess there were, I guess there were Eastern Romans, but <laughs> if they had come back and taught the Anglo-Saxons, it, it kind of feels to me like Tolkien is imagining what might happen in a world where, you know, these giants, these, these Enta, who did yeah. this great work if they came they back to teach them. the newcomers and to, to try and elevate them out of their darkness. Hmm. Um, and I just, I just can't help wondering if this is, you know, Tolkien, the medievalist kind of playing around with a little, what if of a history, alternate history, right? Yeah, exactly. That's and, fascinating. And, and that's oversimplifying it, I guess, because well, again, sure. this is prehistory, but it's just, yeah. Imagine what would happen if, you know, if a, a culture like this, exactly. If that advanced you know, civilization that was yeah. gone, yeah, was able to come back and and was was not here to conquer but to teach, right? My goodness, which of course like the Roman ancient... culture would not have done. They would have committed. <laughs> this is they wouldn't have taught the is... Anglo-Saxons. They would have killed them all. This is quite true. This is quite true. Oh man, it's almost like that that ancient aliens show. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. You know, it's... Oh, my I'm not goodness. saying it's Numenorians, but it's Numenorians. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, Yeah, let's see. So, men of Middle Earth unlearn their fear of the dark. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, yeah, again, you know, wisdom, you know, the the wisdom that the Numenorean, they don't just bring uh, technology and agriculture. They bring, you know, they bring knowledge of of the way they bring wisdom. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Wisdom, again, kind of flowing east. It came east from Avalone to mm-hmm. Numenor, and now it's coming east from Numenor to well, Middle-earth. Well, even from Valinor to Avalone, and then that's Avalone true. to Numenor, yeah. and Numenor to Middle-earth. It's, uh, it's trickle-down wisdom. <laughs> Bueller. Bueller. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, that's awful. Something D-O-O wisdom. <laughs> Sorry, there was a first Bueller Day Off reference. We just don't get those very often. <laughs> no, not nearly enough. Oh, Voodoo man. economics. <laughs> wow, oh, man. I, that took me a second. I'm the sure the part I got, but yeah. But the something D O O economics. Yeah, something D O O. That guy's hilarious, Voodoo. by the way. Do he used to have a show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He used to have a game show. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him on. He's, I, he's still around. Like I think on Facebook and stuff. He's um, haven't seen him much lately, but yeah, funny guy. Yeah. Uh, but the wisdom doesn't stick, does it? I mean, the the men no. the men of Earth, Middle Earth call them gods when they leave. Um, yeah, yeah, they wow. seem to misinterpret <laughs> everything that yeah. they're being taught. But I mean, at least <laughs> at least it's it's their mistake. It's not the Numenorians that's claiming true. to be gods. You know, that's true. And that's boy, that's important. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at least not yet. <laughs> yeah, at least not yet. Yeah. Um, let's put this in the timeline. The um, the first ships came back to Middle Earth during uh, Tar Elendil's reign. So that's between Second Age 590 and 740. So we're talking about 180 years uh, after uh, the death of, of Elros. So, you know, we're okay. 
we're we're into you know still the early history. Um, but I, I, I mentioned that because we're going to bring in the timeline a lot more in a little bit um, when we talk about the message uh, that the Valar bring or that, that is brought mm. from the Valar and, yeah. um, and when we talk about uh, Sauron, which we'll get to. Okay. So, but now we get to hear about the yearning. So I'm going to have you take uh, take a little, take the next reading here. Yeah. So this is picking up right where you left off talking about this, this yearning for the West. Mm-hmm. Now this yearning grew ever greater with the years. And the Numenorians began to hunger for the undying city that they saw from afar, and the desire of everlasting life, to escape from death and the ending of delight, grew strong upon them, and ever as their power and glory grew greater, their unquiet increased. For though the Valar had rewarded the Dunedain with long life, they could not take from them the weariness of the world that comes at last, and they died, even their kings of the seed of Arendil. And the span of their lives was brief in the eyes of the Eldar. Thus it was that a shadow fell upon them, in which maybe the will of Morgoth was at work that still moved in the world. My goodness. Mm. Now, I, I should be clear, time really does move quite a bit here between the last paragraph and this one, because uh, we actually read in the timeline that the shadow didn't fall on them until uh, during Tar Minister's reign, which is Second Age 1800. So, okay. It did take a long time for the shadow to fall, um, but it so did, we're but we're going to be jumping. We're going to jump ahead about yeah, a thousand years. Quite then. a yeah, bit. Okay. Quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I want to bring in something from one of the letters again. <laughs> Letter one thirty one again. <laughs> uh, talking about <laughs> tack it to the wall. Exactly. Talking about the Numenorians, Tolkien says that their long life aids their achievements in art and wisdom, but breeds a possessive attitude to these things. And desire hmm. awakens for more time for their enjoyment. And we know what Tolkien has thought about possessiveness before. I mean, he in that oh, same yeah. letter, he talks about how the fall of the elves is due to, to one thing, the possessiveness of Feanor mm-hmm. and his sons for the Silmarils. Right, right. So, you know, possessiveness is not a good thing. And here we go, you know, now men are showing it. Um, but it's interesting, the Valar couldn't even, it's not just that they couldn't take away the gift of death, they couldn't even take away the weariness of the world. Mm-hmm. That's part of the gift, apparently. That's part it's and part of their death. nature. Yeah, exactly. So they are going to die, and they 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 don't want to accept that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it's the better they get, the more power and glory, their unquiet increases. The more just, they yeah. get, the more unsatisfied they are. Isn't that ridiculous? The, the more they get, the more they want. It really is. It's, I mean, yeah. You can, I mean, total lack hey, of contentedness. I, I hate to cast the first stone here because who knows how I would be yeah, in, in this situation. But I mean, yeah, you, 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 with with the distance of reading this in a book, it's like, what what are you thinking? You know, you have know. you have everything, and you the more you get, the more life. you want. Yeah, you, you have wisdom. You have yeah. You're six foot five, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like way taller than Sean. Yeah, seriously, exactly. <laughs> man. I know it's crazy. It's 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 to, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is, and and I think, you know, it's a reflection it, on what just on what a fallen world does to to men. I mean, yeah, we 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 live in a fallen world, and yeah, that's, that's going to lead to these imperfect desires and right. Well, yeah. the will of Morgoth still moves in the world. You know, it's the, absolutely. It is. It is still the marred world that or the marred Arda. That, you know, that's that the Morgoth thing. Is, is it's not just that Morgoth left his will behind. It's that. Part of Morgoth really is is still Morgoth's gone, but he marred Arda. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't I don't have this letter. I didn't 
put it into my notes because it, I wasn't going to bring it up. But that really does tie in something that Tolkien once said to somebody. He was talking about the difference between uh, the Christian, the fall in, in in the Christian story and the fall in his story. And he says that in in the Christian story, the world was made perfect, and that the fall came. Uh, really as a consequence of this first fall, talking about the fall of, of Lucifer, you know, of Satan, mm-hmm. and that he mm-hmm. then initiated the second fall. But that that didn't have anything to do with with creation, that creation was still, was perfect initially. Well, in in his myth, Tolkien says the difference here is that the world is already made flawed because Melkor mm-hmm. was part of the music and Melkor's discord became part of the very nature, the very matter of Arda. Right. So even yeah. with, with Morgoth gone and, in, 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 you know, stuffed out into the void, we're in a world that's more than just a fallen world. We're in a world that's already that, that, that has corruption that's built per, into that's it. That's already. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's another that remaking of Arda before that'll go away. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in Morgoth's ring where he talks about the idea that all matter, all the matter of Arda has a Melkor yes. ingredient in it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also in Morgoth's ring. Um, I think it's in the myths transformed section of Morgoth's mm-hmm. ring um, where he talks about uh, he, he goes on he has an essay that goes on about the idea that the discord is what created all this corruption yeah, yeah, it, the, yeah. the discord at the very beginning so you're right it, it was it was there from the beginning yeah which was the argument that uh, some of the Valar made when they were talking about the statute of Finway and Muriel like you know right. this is not really Muriel's fault you know Muriel she's she's part of this uh, this fallen earth too right so interesting um, so then they can, they start to murmur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they're reminding me, now they're reminding me not of the Egyptians, but of the Israelites who murmured all the time against God. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lead us there out you go. The it's, desert just to kill us. Blah, blah, blah. There um, you go. It's how he, it's how he brings together all these different it does. traditions. He does it? weave together so many elements that can, you know, pull all these things to your mind. It's incredibly brilliant. Um, but they start to have concern, of course, about where they go when they die. They don't. They don't know. And nobody, mm-hmm. you know, that's the whole thing. They start to get jealous about the Eldar. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read. We're, we're going to kind of get to the, the heart of this chapter. Or this, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, the heart of this half of the chapter, the heart of the reading tonight. Uh, but we're going to break it down into three pieces. This is the message of the Valar. And I'm going to start uh, down at the bottom here. The Eldar reported these words to the Valar. Tattletales. And, <laughs> and, and Manway. Why'd you snitch, man? I know, Come snitch, on. dude. And Manway was grieved seeing a cloud gather on the noontide of Numenor. And he sent messengers to the Dunedain, who spoke earnestly to the king and to all who would listen, concerning the fate and fashion of the world. The doom of the world, they said, one alone can change who made it. And were you so to voyage, that escaping all deceits and snares, you came indeed to Amon, the blessed realm, little would it profit you. For it is not the land of Manwe that makes its people deathless, but the deathless that dwell therein have hallowed the land. Mm-hmm. And there you would but wither and grow weary the sooner as moths in a light too strong and steadfast. So I want well, to stop go. there and, because there's so much to start unpacking. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about, you know, we, we've talked about this, this idea that it is not the land that makes the people right. deathless. Right. Um, they are the undying lands because the deathless dwell there. Yeah. And the lands have been hallowed, and you're not mm-hmm. going to want to be there. You, you, right. don't, you don't belong there. Your nature is incompatible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then Tolkien, we'll get to it in, in a moment. I've got there's some really interesting stuff Tolkien has written about some of the what ifs of what would happen if, uh, you know, yeah, if oh, yeah, we, we each have some there. pieces from that. I know, yeah, <laughs> there's so much yeah. because that's one of those really popular questions, it is, uh, yeah. and it's a valid question. But, but before we get to that, there's something that that is in this passage that you almost miss, but you noticed it. We were talking about it beforehand, it was the noontide, noontide. The word yes. noontide. yeah. Yep, it's the exact same word Tolkien used way back in chapter 6 when he was talking about the noontide of the blessed realm. This is when the Noldor were still or were, when the Noldor were still living in Valinor right, right before our favorite piñata Feanor showed up. <laughs> uh, and it's I think you you had the observation when we talked about it many many months ago that you know <laughs> a year ago this now, is yeah. this is a sign that the clock is ticking, you know, yep. the this TikTok. this is the zenith. The sun is at the sun is at the zenith right now. This is the yep. this is the noontide, but it's about to get a whole lot darker. Yeah, very foreboding. This concept of a noontide. The noontide, exactly. I mean, it it sounds great. You know, you're walking around. It's the middle mm-hmm. of the day. It's sunny, but it's not going to get any brighter. It's right. only going to get darker now. Right. And uh, and that's that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a really big clue that things are starting to go downhill. Mm-hmm. But I, I love history the, has a way of repeating itself. In doesn't this, it? In this world it doesn't. really does. <laughs> yeah. It really does. There's so many echoes of the fall here, mm-hmm. of, of the fall of the elves here. Yep. I really do wish we got more on the initial fall of men, you know, a little bit. I, I'd like. To oh, yeah. Like that. that. Yeah. There's that little bit in the tale of Adonel. Yeah. Um, but that's really all we get. It's really, really short. It really is. Um so the message now, just again, to put this in the timeline, right, we've, we've jumped around a lot. We talked about the first uh, ships that, that landed, those in Middle-earth were between 590 and 740. And then we jumped forward over a thousand years to the shadow falling on them around Second Age 1800. This message actually comes to Tar Atanamir. He's the 13th king. And it's sometime, okay. but, so we don't know the exact year the message comes, but he became king in 2029. And died in 2221. So we're talking um, mm. the shadow had been on, you know, let, let's let's ballpark that at somewhere around 2100. So we're talking about 300 years of the shadow, but mm-hmm. over 2,000 years of the Numenorean kingdom. Of Numenor. So that's important. Wow. Staggering um, number. <laughs> isn't it? Really yeah. is. That's, that's, we can't even, I mean, we just can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah. You know? 2,000 years. I mean, how many kingdoms have been around for 2,000 years? Right. Uh, you know, uninterrupted kingdoms. I mean. You right. know, we, we could talk about certain countries that have been around that long, but not they're not the same countries that they were not, 2000 Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the messenger really starts to lay things out. This is that explanation we wish they would have given him 2,000 years before, but I don't know if it would have made the difference. Um, yeah. You know, let's go ahead and bring in the some of those texts you were talking about from Morgoth's Ring. Was it Amon and Mortal Men? Sure. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. an essay called Amon and Mortal Men that talks about what would happen if you, a mortal, came to... The Undying Lands, and as Tolkien parsed this out, I mean, it the ban of the Valar actually was mercy, right? Uh, because of the things that would happen if a mortal, even if a mortal, was allowed to live in the Undying Lands. Um, basically, uh, the way what Tolkien presented is basically a couple of different possibilities of what would happen. Okay. Um, so, say that you, Alan, a mortal, have been invited to live in the Undying Lands. Well, to um, suggest I am a mere mortal is. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So let's say that me, a, a so, mere mortal. No, you know what? Some horrible lived things are well over half my mortal no, life. <laughs> no, some horrible things are going to happen to you. So I don't want to think of it being you. I'm going to think of it. Let's make up a person, Bob. 
Bob. So Bob is invited to okay, uh, to come to uh, to come to the Undying Lands. One of two things is going to happen, according to Tolkien. Either he would live out his normal lifespan among the immortals, which to him would seem like he's aging quickly while everything around him doesn't change at all. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, and Tolkien says he would become filled with envy, deeming himself a victim of injustice, being denied the graces given to all other things. Now, of course, it's not all other things. It's just right. everything around him. Um, Tolkien goes on to say he would not value what he had. Uh, he would grow soon to contemn his manhood um, and hate those more richly endowed. He would not escape the fear and sorrow of his swift mortality that is his lot upon earth in Ardemard, but would be burdened by it unbearably to the loss mm. of all delight. Oh, wow. um, and I should go back and define that word contempt because I had to look it up. Uh, basically, he would have contempt for his manhood. Oh, okay. Um, he would he would he would hate his own lot and he would hate those who who yeah. have more than he does. Um, and so he would far from he would not escape the fear and sorrow of mortality. Oh. It would quite be the opposite. He would be burdened by it unbearably. It would be he um, would be more conscious of it than ever. Right. Right. Yeah. Because he would be surrounded by others who don't have it. Think of the Numenorians and how much they're surrounded by the knowledge of it just because the Eldar show up from time to time. Right. The first you know, just keeps they, showing up. Right. Just because the they same every guy once in a while over pop again. into <laughs> Yeah. And every once in a while when they go over to Middle Earth, they pop into Gilgalad's house and you right. know they, they you know, how much it consumes them yeah. when they can always go back home. Imagine how it would be for Bob. My goodness, poor Bob. <laughs> poor Bob indeed. The other possibility for Bob, according to Tolkien, is okay, let's say that he could be given the immortality of the elves. Okay. Now this is corporeal immortality. It's the longevity of the Hroa because the Hroa is what is of Arda. That's the Hroa is what's made from matter. Right. That's what right. the Valar it's the physical could, part could of his body. Right. That's what the Valar could affect because the Valar have power over Arda. The if Fea they could is, affect that, but yeah. If they could even do that. The Fea is something that's given to him by Iluvatar, and the Valar cannot change that. That's true. So Tolkien says very soon then, uh, well, I guess I should say, so the Hroa would be immortal, but the Fea would still not ooh, be immortal. Oh, that would be bad. The Fea would start to weaken, <laughs> would start yeah. to get old. Uh, and Tolkien says, very soon then, the Fea and Hroa would not be united and at peace. Remember how much he talks about the, oh, the, yes. the union of Fea and Hroa. And how that, important you know, that is. Right. He says they would not be at peace, but would be opposed to the great pain of both. The Hroa, being in full vigor and joy of life, would cling to the Fea, lest its departure should bring death. And against death it would revolt, as would a great beast in full life either free from, flee from the hunter or turn savagely upon him. But the Fea would be, as it were, in prison, Ooh. becoming ever more weary of all the delights of the Hroa, until they were loathsome to it. The man would not be blessed, but accursed, and he would curse the Valar and Amon and all the things of Arda. Oh, wow. And ultimately, he would basically go insane. Yeah. Is where oh, that paragraph ends. Goodness. Um, so... This is what the band of the Valar is sparing the Numenorians right, from. Right. They don't know that. Um, but but this is I mean, this is just to illustrate how how flawed the concept is <laughs> that it they can really go to is. the Undying Lands. It, it's just it is not you said this, it is not their nature to live there. Their no. nature is not to be immortal. And because of their nature, they basically just couldn't deal with it. Exactly. Well, you and know? there's there's even another quote from Tolkien about that, about nature or kind. This is um it's actually in a footnote to one of his letters. I don't have the letter number handy off this one. Uh, but he says that each kind has a natural span, integral to its mm. biological and spiritual nature. So that would be the Roa and the Fea. Mm. Um, 
this cannot really be increased qualitatively or quantitatively. So prolongation in time is like stretching a wire out ever tauter or spreading okay. butter ever thinner. It becomes oh, an intolerable right. yeah. torment. Yeah, okay. And boy, does that put Bilbo's words into a little better context. Yeah. It becomes an intolerable torment. You really feel the Just the, having the torment. His, yeah. Yeah. His fame and Groar are out of sync. Like, yeah. Wow. That that's the thing is his boy that his, tells you so much about like Gollum and the ring rates. Yeah, and, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh man, the ring rates. Well, they're they're their butter's gone. I mean, they're, <laughs> <laughs> it's been spread so thin. It's uh, it, yeah. But that's the thing. Their Feya and their Roa aren't in in sync anymore. Um. But yeah, my goodness. Wow. You know, there, there's more. You know, I, mean, I think people always talk about what they read in the appendices, right? About Frodo and other mortals who get there. Well, what sure, happened yeah. to them? They don't. They're not gonna. You know, what a terrible thing for them to be filled with envy or to then you know. Um, have their Fey and Roa out of link, out of sync. Um, but, you know, he addresses that. Uh, in letter 154, uh, Tolkien acknowledges that certain mortals who've played a great part in Elvish affairs may pass with the elves to Elvenholm. Now, we're talking about just Eresia, not Valinor. Right. Um, thus, Frodo, by the express gift of Arwen, and Bilbo, and eventually Sam, as adumbrated by Frodo, and as a unique exception, Gimli the Dwarf, as a friend of Legolas and servant of Galadriel. But Tolkien goes on to add that this is strictly only a temporary reward, a healing and redress of suffering. They cannot abide forever. And though they cannot return to mortal earth, they can and will die of free will and leave the world. Mm. Um, okay. yeah. yeah, he, he says yeah. it again, even in, in uh, another letter, 325. This is a little shorter, thankfully. He says that as for Frodo or other mortals, they could only dwell in Amon for a limited time, whether brief or long. The Valar had neither the power nor the right to confer immortality upon them. Their sojourn was a purgatory, but one of peace and healing, and they would eventually pass away, die at their own desire and of free will, to destinations of which the elves knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean that, well, so much for the ambiguous Arthurian ending, right? Because <laughs> Yeah, <they're, laughs> we just unam- he spells it out right there. <laughs> we just unambiguified it. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Is that a word? <laughs> I don't think Tolkien would call it a word. <laughs> it is now. It is. <laughs> It's an Alan uh, Sisto original. We're going to try um, unambiguifying a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that really spells it right out. So, it does, really. Um, really clear. So so what's, cl- what's clear here is that uh, Frodo and the others were not given extra life. They were just allowed to live oh. out their normal span yeah. in peace yeah. and in with comfort. Healing. Yeah, with healing. Exactly. And and given the choice uh, to die when they were ready. And exactly. And to being get their who they were. And back into sync, right? I mean, right. you know, Bilbo's body right. after the ring had had left his possession, you know, he, he ages was getting rapidly. out of sync. The, the, the butter spread over too much bread. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Good stuff. Got to get your Faye and your hoe back in sync, buddy. Here's your problem. <laughs> there, there's your problem right there. Your Faye and your Roa. Your and your Roa. What you got there, your Faye, it's, uh, it's out of sync with your Roa. We need to, we need to adjust the timing belt and try to get going to cost about $800. Exactly. going to have to order the part though. It's not <laughs> going to come in tomorrow. Yeah. It's out west. We'll have to get it from out west. <laughs> I only got one guy that can install these things. <laughs> All right. Uh, goofy stuff. Um, but, of course, you know, anytime a, a rational argument is made to an irrational person, they respond with, but you. With so irrationality. Let me, yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me have you take the next chunk. All right. But the king said, 
And does not Erendil, my forefather, live, or is he not in the land of Amon? To which they answered, You know that he has a fate apart, and was a judge to the firstborn who die not. Yet this also is his doom, that he can never return again to mortal lands. Whereas you and your people are not of the firstborn, but are mortal men, as Iluvatar made you. Yet it seems that you desire now to have the good of both kindreds, to sail to Valinor when you will, and to return when you please to your homes. That cannot be. Nor can the Valar take away the gifts of Iluvatar. The Eldar, you say, are unpunished, and even those who rebel do not die. Yet that is to them neither reward nor punishment, but the fulfillment of their being. Mm -hmm. They cannot escape and are bound to this world, never to leave it so long as it lasts, for its life is theirs. And you are punished for the rebellion of men, you say, in which you had small part, and so it is that you die. But that was not at first appointed for a punishment. Yep. Thus you escape and leave the world, and are not bound to it, in hope or in weariness. Which of us, therefore, should envy the others? Boy, isn't that a great... I love that response. <laughs> oh, it's great. So, so on the nose. I mean, it just really like laying, it, laying it all out. Like, hey, man, come on. You know better. This... You know, uh, that's yeah, my favorite at the very one. beginning. Like, you know, you know better. You know, that's not right. You know better. Hey, Rendell's not a man anymore. Yep. Yeah. Um, they, they want the best of both worlds, um, <laughs> which, you know, great Star Trek they, episode, they, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> they, sorry. they want it all. They do. And they want it now. <laughs> it ain't much they're asking if you want the truth. <laughs> Told you oh, get another. Man. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now I've got that song stuck in my head. There are there are worse songs. That's true. There are. There are. Um maybe when they get to uh when they get to Middle Earth, uh, they'll they'll sing We Are the Champions. Maybe so. <laughs> and Queen really works as the as a Boy, soundtrack. Doesn't it? I know. And yet <laughs> <for Numenor. laughs> yeah. and yet those will not be the titles. No. Oh, goodness. We got Maybe other somewhere else. We do. We do. Um, my goodness, the stuff here. I mean, that cannot be. We cannot take away the gifts of, of Iluvatar. Mm -hmm. And he reminds him, look, it, this isn't our, our living forever. Well, not living forever. Our living as long as the earth exists is not. It, it's not a reward or a punishment. Not a reward. It's just yeah. who we are. Yeah. It's just the who we are. fulfillment of their being. That's all it's it is. It's just their nature. It's just their nature. What you're asking for is not in your nature. Well, yeah. What is it? It's on the previous page of my ebook now, but what is it? That cannot be. That cannot be. I love that. That's just a yeah. very blunt statement. Yeah. That cannot be uh, to have the best of both worlds. You, it's not, it's just not the way it is. Yeah. Um, my goodness. And the fact that death was not appointed for a punishment, we'll get to that a little bit more. I, sure. Yeah. Um, I, I want to keep moving, but that's good stuff. So, the Numenorians respond. Uh, the Numenorians answered, Why should we not envy the Valar, or even the least of the deathless? For of us is required a blind trust and a hope without assurance, knowing not what lies before us in a little while. And yet we also love the earth and would not lose it. Then the messengers said, Indeed, the mind of Iluvatar concerning you is not known to the Valar, and he has not revealed all things that are to come. But this we hold to be true that your home is not here, neither in the land of Amon, nor anywhere within the circles of the world. And the doom of men that they should depart was at first a gift of Iluvatar. It became a grief to them only because coming under the shadow of Morgoth, it seemed to them that they were surrounded by a great darkness of which they were afraid. 
and some grew willful and proud and would not yield until life was reft from them. We who bear the ever-mounting burden of the years do not clearly understand this, but if that grief has returned to trouble you, as you say, then we fear that the shadow arises once more and grows again in your hearts. Therefore, though you be the Dunedain, fairest of men, who escaped from the shadow of old and fought valiantly against it, we say to you, Beware! The will of Eru may not be gainsaid, and the Valar bid you earnestly not to withhold the trust to which you are called, lest soon it become again a bond by which you are constrained. Hope, rather, that in the end even the least of your desires shall have fruit. The love of Arda was set in your hearts by Iluvatar, and he does not plant to no purpose. Nonetheless, many ages of men unborn may pass ere that purpose is made known, and to you it will be revealed, and not to the Valar. My goodness. Man, there's a lot there. There is a ton there. Um, the blind trust. I guess we thing. start with the blind trust. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, to me, I felt like they were misinterpreting Estel. I kind of felt like this was a negative spin on Estel. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, we've talked about I don't know. that. It'll be um, interesting. I'd, I'd love to know, yeah. you know, be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I, yeah. I, I kind of get the what? feeling maybe they're talking about two different things. You know, like the, 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 the messengers are saying to, to hope, right. To, um, uh, let's see if they say here, you know, where do you say? Yeah, earnestly, the Valor well, you earnestly not to withhold the trust, hope rather that in the end, they're using Estel for hope. Mm-hmm. And I think the Numenorians are saying for us, for of us is required an You're, you're requiring Amdir of us. Yeah, Amdir, I think you're right. right. Yeah. Which is, hope you know. without I, reassurance. Right. Like, I hope the weather's nice today. I hope I win the lottery. It's Hope without assurance. It's, I said right. Assurance, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's this back and forth, like they're not even talking about the same hope yeah um or even understanding what it means to trust i i I just can't i I just get the feeling that's what's going on here is is they're they're talking at cross purposes to to some extent that could be Um, i think that's that's a really good argument it's hard to say because it's you know we're not reading it in the original language but (laughs) no it's probably a good thing that would take us a very long time to get through (laughs) oh my goodness yes it would we'd have like seven listeners yeah yeah (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, the will of Eru cannot be opposed. You've got to trust him and hope. That's mm-hmm. really the, the, the end of the message here. You know, the will of Eru may not be gainsaid. You, you can't do anything against what he has determined. Mm-hmm. So yeah. please just trust him. You know, he put this love for the earth in your hearts. That's not going to be for no reason. You just right. you may not be here anymore when we know that purpose, but you've got to trust yeah. But there's also this little, you know, this little, um, what's the word? I don't know, but they're, they're kind of a little bit of a pat on the back for men here because mm-hmm. it's, you know, look, when it's revealed when Iluvatar's purpose yeah. is revealed, it's going to be revealed to you yeah, and not to, the Valar. not to the like, Valar. The Valar won't It's know. a reminder. It's a reminder that, you know, men do have a special purpose on earth. Very. And, you know, we get some of that in the Athrabeth. Uh, and, That's true. um, and we've talked a little bit about that, I think, when we went back to episode 10. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just like, just trust and all will be revealed in time. And guess what? You're going to be taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> You'll, you know, it's going to be. You just have to trust. It, it may not be, be the fine. way you want it to be, but you will be, you know, that your purpose will be indicated. Your, you know, you will achieve what you're intended to achieve. And mm-hmm. uh, it just may take some time for that to happen. But um, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, coming back to this mortality thing, there's a, another great quote that fits here really well. Um, this one's from Letter 212. Have we mentioned that you all should read Letters by J.R.R. Tolkien before? Have we, have we said <laughs> yeah, you should no get that kidding. book? Because you really no should. I mean, if you haven't figured it out by now, we use it a, a lot. lot. Uh, so he says in this one, uh, in this mythical prehistory, immortality, strictly longevity, coextensive with the life of Arda, was part of the given nature of the elves. Beyond the end, nothing was revealed. Mortality, that is a short lifespan, having no relation to the life of Arda, is spoken of as the given nature of men. The elves called it the gift of Iluvatar, God. To attempt by device or magic to recover longevity is thus a supreme folly and wickedness of mortals. Longevity, or, or counterfeit immortality, since true immortality is beyond Ea, is the chief bait of Sauron. It leads the small to a golem and the great to a ringwraith. And I love that last line. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, there you go. I was just in. talking about, <laughs> imagine yeah. Yeah. Gollum and the ringwraiths, and here, here they are and, mentioned. And, I, and I've read this letter before. I wasn't even thinking about this. No. That's great. It really is. So, um, you know, we see, like we talked about, this is in the days of Tar Kiryatan and Tar Atanamir. Um, mm-hmm. So now Numenor goes downhill. Um, like we said, uh, it's the noontide, right? The zenith of its mm-hmm. bliss. Uh, I'm going to have you read a very short passage. I, th- I think this is really telling, if you want to take this next okay. one. Yep. But Atanamir was ill-pleased with the counsel of the messengers and gave little heed to it. And the greater part of his people followed him, for they wished still to escape death in their own day, not waiting upon hope. Mm. And Atanamir lived to a great age, clinging to his life beyond the end of all joy. And he was the first of the Numenorians to do this, refusing to depart until he was witless and unmanned, and denying to his son the kingship at the height of his days. Oh, witless and unmanned. Witless and unmanned. That's, boy, that's that's a little taste of that um, that Croa and Fea being out isn't of sync, it? isn't it? That's exactly it. Yeah. My goodness, and and this is just out of you know his increase in power, increase in in wealth, and in all yeah. of these other things, but. He's just not satisfied. Yeah, discontent really a lack of contentedness is such a problem, isn't it? Yeah, it um, really is. It really is. Be so you know, be things. be happy with what you have. It doesn't mean that you can't strive to be the best. No, of course, do the best with what you've got. But right, right. You know, um, yeah. Find your find your peace. Find your content. Happiness is what's important. Just mm-hmm. ask those uh, tra la 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 yells, right? <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> Yeah, totally. down here in the valley. Hey, that is we are so happy. <laughs> oh, Sorry, man. I don't mean That's to great. tease. I do, but you know, still. You know, I love the tra la 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 elves. I know you do more than I do. Um, <laughs> well, that's not saying much. <laughs> no, no, that's probably not. <laughs> I guess I'll be reading that passage when we get to probably, it. Probably, <laughs> yeah. You can have dibs on that one. Um, I, it is interesting that because he refused to, um, you know, that he cling, clung to his life, uh, that he didn't, he broke the pattern of giving the kingship to the son. We don't see that in that passage. It's in the next line there. But uh, that the normal tradition had previously been to give the kingship to the sons once they're, you know, fully grown. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess, you know, going off and, and laying yourself down in the halls of the kings and dying, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which, of course, basically what we saw with Aragorn in, in, right. in the, uh, the appendix. To exactly. Lord of Rings, that yeah. willing surrender of your life. It's a totally mm-hmm. different ballgame than what we saw with, let's say, Denethor. Mm-hmm. Um, very, you know, radically different. 
Um, but it also, well, I suppose Denethor did willingly surrender it. At well, the end, right. But, but that's the whole peacefully. actively, you know, there's a difference. Well, oh, right. Right. I see. Yeah. He yeah, didn't willingly surrender. He, yeah, he, he tried threw to speed it, up the threw process. it on a fire basically. Yeah. Literally put yeah. a little accelerant on there and yeah. Right. Um, that's what you're saying. Yeah. The, um, the, the kingship would pass. So typically, you know, what do you mean you're, you're going to give up your kingship and go die when your son's fully grown, you know? Well, they didn't have their kids until they until very late in their lives. They didn't even marry until very late in their lives. So that's an interesting, interesting yeah. little thing. Maybe that's one of the reasons they weren't so happy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I mean I think there's a little bit of elvishness there, but you know, obviously yeah. they um, yeah, because elves yeah, didn't just... even hit like their you know puberty and adulthood until about fifty, if I remember correctly. Right. Right. Um, or at least that's when they got married. I think. Yeah. So Autonomir's son, uh, pretty much just like his dad, uh, and in his day, the, the the people become split. You've got the king's men. They're the ones who don't like the Valar, don't like the band, really ticked off, angry, unhappy, get off my lawn kind of people. And then you've got the um, the Elendili, the, you, you say that, the elf friends. The Elendili? The Elendili. Thank you. I wanted to say Elendili. <laughs> Elendili, Elendili, Elendili. Yeah, that's just bad. I don't want to go there. Uh, the Elendili. The elf friends, uh, so they they of course want to keep uh, connection with the Eldar, mm-hmm, um, right. but you know everybody's troubled by death, so sure. it, everything starts to kind of go downhill. Um, but they did. This is really interesting. You know, we, earlier they didn't understand the purpose, but they were you know happy and still obeyed it. Now they don't love the Valar, but they fear them, so they still won't break the band, but they'll complain. Mm-hmm. And yes. this is where things start to really go downhill. So I'm going to go ahead and yeah. pick up uh, starting a couple paragraphs or starting the next paragraph down. All right. But the fear of death grew ever darker upon them, and they delayed it by all means that they could. And they began to build great houses for their dead, while their wise men labored unceasingly to discover if they might the secret of recalling life, or at the least of the prolonging of men's days. Yet they achieved only the art of preserving in corrupt the dead flesh of men. And they filled all the land with silent tombs in which the thought of death was enshrined in the darkness. But those that lived turned the more eagerly to pleasure and revelry, desiring ever more goods and more riches. And after the days of Tar and Kaliman, the offering of the first fruits to Eru was neglected, and men went seldom any more to the hollow upon the heights of Meneltarma in the midst of the land. Well, so sad to see this rapid downhill. Just really, yeah, very rapid downhill. And, uh, boy, classic response to not getting what you want, right? I mean, you know, (laughs) you you can't afford that, I don't know, that that purse or that designer, you know, garment that you want. (laughs) Go go buy the cheap knockoff, you know? (laughs) Can't get immortality? Go buy some oil of Olay. (laughs) Superficial oil of Olay. Don't forget. Oh, the oil of Olay. We had to bring that back. We did. Yeah, that super... was a brilliant one, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Superficial alternatives, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you can't let's do what you can to uh, prolong men's days through, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe maybe drugs or, you know, maybe some sort of medicine. Right. Um, but also uh, preserving embalming. incorrupt the dead flesh, <laughs> <That's>... just em- <laughs> embalming, maybe mummification. I mean, you yeah. talked about you talked about the Egyptians. The Egyptian. You know, this is boy, this. That's, this is where it comes full, 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 yeah. full to the fore. Yeah, right. I mean, you're starting to you're starting to see just this obsession with death yeah. turn into um, an obsession with the flesh. Right. Like, well, if I can't um, live forever, I can at least look good when I die. 
right? <laughs> Leave a good looking corpse and make sure it's still good looking for thousands of years. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how much, um, you know, this this idea of these these tombs that, you know, mm-hmm. they're just obsessed with death. It reminds me so much of uh, Faramir's words about oh, Gondor. Oh, yes. To Frodo and Sam about sort of the not quite the fall of Gondor, but the last kings. You know, we really yeah, see this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Faramir says kings made tombs more splendid than houses of the living mm. and counted old names in the roles of their descent dearer than the names of sons. He's talking about the last days yeah. of the kings of Gondor, not Numenor, right. but it sounds, sure it sounds, sounds exactly like the same. Yeah. Childless lords sat in aged halls musing on heraldry in secret oh, chambers, withered men compounded strong elixirs or in high cold towers asked questions of the stars. My goodness. Um, wow, I mean, that's that exactly, really that sounds exactly like Numenor. Yeah, down to, you know, strong elixirs to, <laughs> to get stronger, you know. This, and then um, astrology. Astrology, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, looking for looking for answers in places where you're not going to get them. No, the but, answers have already know. been given to you. You just don't yeah. like them. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> You exactly. want different answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they turn, you know, the, the, while they're alive, they, they just dig more into earthly pleasures. Pleasure sure. and well, revelry and, and wealth and, and you yeah. know, uh, well, that's, more stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, that's like classic response to not getting what you want. Number two. Right. I mean, yeah. just hedonism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just, Make myself right, happy. Just, yeah. Whatever makes me happy. Yeah. Whatever makes me happy right now. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's really telling that the first it was during this time that the offering of the first fruits to Eru was neglected. And it's during this time that the downfall really takes off. Mm-hmm. Um, the hallow isn't visited anymore. So the king isn't doing those three, um, you know, uh, offerings of prayer, offerings right. of thanks and offerings of praise. Um, that's a problem, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we're going to see real soon that the, the men of Numenor will worship something. And if they won't worship God, they'll worship something else. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's true. I mean, if we, if we're not, gonna, if we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. It's usually just ourselves, but um, um, you know, that certainly seems to be the a truth that Tolkien is, uh, referring to here. Um, they're, they're not content with their own land. I love this little line. When it went and read this paragraph, but their own land seemed shrunken. They had mm-hmm. no rest or content. So they start building big settlements on the Western shores. But now yeah. they're, well, they're showing becoming up an, as... They're becoming an imperial power exactly, now. Exactly, an imperial mm-hmm. force. They are, are lording it over um, mm-hmm. and gathering tribute. There's a just letter, like the, just like the wicked men did. Exactly. I, I can't. I, I don't have it here with me. I don't, didn't put it in my notes. But he talks about now they're tax collectors. <laughs> uh, and you yeah, know. they they were these givers of knowledge yeah. and wisdom and, and technology, and now they're just taking, take, just take, taking, take. taking tribute. Yeah, because but, they can and they but, need to, to feed their own material desires at this point. Well, that's classic um, response number three. Just take it out on somebody else. <laughs> just you know, some... it's like you feel you feel powerless, right? You feel right. like you can't get what you want. So just go take so, it out on somebody weaker than you. Exactly. Don't don't pick on anybody your own size. Go right. push around the little guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The people who think yeah. you're a god, it's pretty easy to beat them up if uh, if they're that, you know, technically right. backwards. Right. Yeah. So, man, what a mess. And um, wow. But the elf friends kept their kept their friendship with uh, with Gilgalad with the elves. They were at this point fighting with Sauron, who we're going to get to momentarily. Um, and they build uh, Pilargir. Pilargir, uh, the haven to the what is it south? Of, it's the southern part of Gondor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. South of Minas Tirith. If you follow the Anduin yep. down, that's it. Ends up being that's where um, where Aragorn and the uh, you know 
after he comes out of the paths of the dead, he's got the. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He goes and and takes the army and goes down there and, and gets the, uh, uh, right. the umbars of you know the the corsairs of umbar yeah. off their ships mm-hmm. and then he sails those up the Anduin from Pelargir. That's right. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. Yeah. So now you know that places you. Uh, in the story now, so you can kind of get your get your very bearings. very old, very old city, very old city. Uh, but now we get into and, Sauron and the king and so. the king's men. Also, I like this. The, oh, yeah. the king's men left rumors in the legends of men. Oh, that um, is key. You're right. Another another reference to this idea that this is a real story that happened. You know, ding ding um, ding. We yes. don't know which stories, which rumors he's talking about, but we can probably imagine some of you know some of our earliest stories about wicked rulers and corrupt empires would have been these guys. You're right. You're Kingsman. absolutely right. They've left the rumors in the legends of men. So, mm-hmm. so men have these stories of you know these terrible, terrible people that came. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So our our legends would fit that. Ooh, that's would good. That. Good catch. Yeah. Good yeah. catch. Um, I'm going to have you read the next little bit about Sauron, and we're going to start talking some timeline stuff here. Enter Sauron. All right. <clears throat> in this age, as is elsewhere told, Sauron arose again in Middle Earth and grew and turned back to the evil in which he was nurtured by Morgoth, becoming mighty in his service. Already in the days of Tarminastir, the eleventh king of Numenor, he had fortified the land of Mordor, and had built there the tower of Barad-dûr, and thereafter he strove ever for the dominion of Middle-earth, to become a king over all kings, and as a god unto men. And Sauron hated the Numenorians because of the deeds of their fathers and their ancient alliance with the elves and allegiance to the Valar, nor did he forget the aid that Tarminastir had rendered to Gilgalad of old, in that time when the One Ring was forged and there was war between Sauron and the elves in Eriador. And that's why I want to bring in the timeline, because yeah. you're like, what? In the time when the what? Right. I mean, whoa, that came out and, of nowhere. And presumably you've heard of the One Ring if you're reading the Silver Presumably you have. But yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not been mentioned because it's all in the next chapter, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, of the of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. Mm-hmm. But it is really important to kind of get a, gri- a, get a grasp of the timeline here uh, because we've, we've, now we went forward and now we're going back. Um, okay. So he arrived, a lot of this information is going to come from the Rings of Power in the Third Age. Uh, it's also going to come from the, or I'm sorry, not the Rings of Power in the Third Age, but the um, the Rings of Power, which comes from Lord of the Rings Appendix B. And okay. some of it I've also pulled from uh, Chapter 3 of Unfinished Tales, Second Age Part, the line of Elros, Kings of Numenor. So that that that's how I'm fitting these things in. So let's kind of walk through You're this. You're such an overachiever with your research. I, well, I feel like I got to... You know, you've got yeah, the like word nerdery. I've got the math and the and the years. Um, That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. And now, if one of us could ever figure out how to actually keep a podcast under two hours, that would be helpful. That, that would be great, yeah. Um, so uh, the growing in strength is around Second Age 500. He builds Baradur around Second Age 1000. Um, around Second Age 1500, the forging of the rings begins. Yeah. Those are completed around 1590. So apparently it takes them a very long time to forge these rings. And it's around 1600 that the one ring is forged. So we're already, you know, 1600. And you're like, wait a minute. Didn't we just see something that was happening in like the 2100s? Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going back. We're going back to talk okay, about Sauron. Right. So Let's talk about what Sauron's been the doing. message, the, the one ring was made 500 years before the messengers came from Valinor to tell um uh, Tar Minister or Tar, uh, no, that was not Tar Minister. That was Tar Autonomir. Tar Autonomir, yeah. Um, before they came to him to tell him the message. So we're going back in time. Um, 
So the shadow fell around 1800. So that would have been shortly after the one ring was forged. That's correct. 200 years later. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure that those are connected, but I suppose it is possible. Well, I think you'll find that some of it is. uh, And we'll get to that in the timeline. Because during the reigns of the ninth king, Tarsurion, and the second ruling queen, Tartelperion, uh, is when this uh, when this would have happened, is when this the forging of the rings of power. So about okay. 100 years after the One Ring, 1693, I know we had a, a lot of the other stuff was around, but the timeline actually gives us a specific year for this. 1693, the War of the Elves and Sauron begins. Sauron's victorious six years later by 1699. That includes the death of Celebrimbor, uh, mm-hmm. Moria's gates are shut, uh, and then Elrond takes some of the people who escape and founds Imladris. Okay. So um, a year later, 1700, Tar Minister sends a great navy to Lindon and defeats Sauron. So now skip forward even much further now to 2251. So this is the death of Atanamir and uh, the reign of his son uh, on Kaliman. Uh, and Kaliman, okay. The Nazgul start to appear. Ooh. Now, three of the nine Nazgul were said to be great lords of Numenor. We don't know who. Oh, right, yeah. But isn't that intriguing? So I think you're, the shadow... People seeking after immortality. Yeah, yeah. People seeking yeah. after immortality, and they find it. So these would be people who had come and, you know, built up these strong towers in Middle-earth and somehow ended up in contact with Sauron, who said, you want immortality? I got something for you. <laughs> Um, so that's well, the timeline, yeah. and that's really helpful, I think, to understand just what's going on here. So the the shadow— One has to imagine that the Nazgul Lord was a Numenorean, right? I mean, I know Ooh. we're never told this, but— Yeah, no, he's got to be. If, I mean, If any of them were, it he would have to be. Yeah, I know there's some great speculations about the actual identities of some mm-hmm. of these, uh, you know, the, of the three Nazgul that were Numenorean, but it's all speculation. Yeah, so, Tolkien um, hasn't left gonna, us anything there. Nope, nothing at all. Um, so yeah, so that, that was, again, just really important, uh, to mm-hmm. kind of get a feel for that, that, you know, Sauron, even with the one ring in, which, you know, was around 1600, didn't do anything to attack Numenor. Yeah. Even with that, because he didn't, he did he didn't want to challenge them. He withdrew from the coasts. Right. Um, because he didn't want to, he didn't want to poke the bear. <laughs> right. Really. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, he's yeah because they're guy. they're you know they're an imperial power now they you know they're they are they're they're a threat and we'll see that he eventually sees that his opportunity is is different than just straight military victory. Yep. Um, so let's go ahead and read. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the next paragraph here. In those days, the shadow grew deeper upon Numenor, and the lives of the kings of the house of Elros waned because of their rebellion. But they hardened their hearts the more against the Valar. And the twentieth king took the scepter of his fathers, and he ascended the throne in the name of Adunakor, lord of the west, forsaking the elven tongues and forbidding their use in his hearing. Yet in the scroll of kings, the name Hirunuman was inscribed in the high elven speech. Did I pronounce that right? Hirunuman. That looks right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost thought I threw an extra syllable in there. Hirunuman. Hirunuman. <laughs> <laughs> so in the scroll of kings, the name Hirunuman was inscribed. All those U's and N's and M's together. They did get, kind of yeah, blur together, really... and it's late because yeah. we've been doing this for a long time now. Yeah. yeah uh, sorry. That's okay. This was inscribed in the high elven speech because of ancient custom, which the kings feared to break utterly, lest evil befall. Now, this title seemed to the faithful overproud, being the title of the Valar, and their hearts were sorely <laughs> tried between their loyalty to the house of Elros 
and the reverence of the appointed powers. But worse was yet to come. For Ar Gimilzor, the twenty-third king, was the greatest enemy of the faithful. In his day, the white tree was untended and began to decline, and he forbade utterly the use of the elven tongues and punished those that welcomed the ships of Aresia that still came secretly to the west shores of the land. Well, wow. there you go. It went downhill, and now it's just like gone right off the edge. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so wanna, a unicorn, wow. Yeah, um, I, before we even get to that, I want to jump on one phrase. They hardened oh, yeah. their hearts. You know, we talked about oh, okay. the Egyptians and the similarities. This makes me think of Pharaoh. Okay, uh, yeah. Who is said to have hardened his heart. Every time, you know, Moses would say something to him, you know, all right, fine, I'll let your people go. And then he would harden his heart and say, nope, change my mind. <laughs> and, and we he, see this again later, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Uh, with, uh, with on. Yes, we do. So just in, in, another interesting little comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, hardened the hearts. They hardened mm-hmm. their hearts the more. So, you know, instead of learning their lesson and saying, wow, we're dying at younger ages, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. basically just, screw the man. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, it's that doubling down on their pride and folly that we talked about that, yeah, you know, that always like. precedes, yeah, Fanor. Classic, classic Fanor. <laughs> it movie. really is. But it's yeah. it's classic pride. I mean, you know, Turin doubled yeah, down, sure. a lot of, you sure. know, that's just what prideful people do. Melkor, Melkor did. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, he, he was chastised and then out of his shame came secret anger. Right. Um, instead of repentance. That's, that's the key. Every single time when... You make a mistake, you make a bad decision, and you're presented with consequences. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you respond out of repentance, like Aule did after making the doors, or do you respond with, you know, doubling, whatever? Doubling down and just right. like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 And that's what they're doing here. So go ahead, yep. Adunachor. Yeah, Adunachor, uh, Lord of the West. <laughs> you think Manway's rolling his eyes right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's probably he hasn't rolled his eyes this hard since Melkor said, "And I named this unto myself, and I named this unto myself." Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. and and this yeah. this does deeply trouble the faithful. They know that this is blasphemous. Oh yeah, there's no other word for it. No. Um, yeah, uh, and yet they're supposed really to still be loyal to the to the House of Elders. I mean, he is their king. Yeah. Yeah, you know, right. They're, they're, they're not in open civil war or anything. No, no. I mean, that's what's interesting about the faithful is that they they will, they're rule followers. They are, um, maybe to yeah. a fault. Maybe, um, maybe. But you know, I mean, they they end up coming through, so it's it, it all works out. It does. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting, and I, and I love the fact that uh, he won't he won't yeah. document the name in Adonaiic in the Scroll of Kings, like. Because of ancient custom, which the kings feared yeah. to break utterly, like, yeah, I don't okay, mind. Really, you're being okay. Totally blaspheming. You're, you're gonna right. You're gonna take a name that Lord of the only Manway can can wear, uh, rightfully. Yeah. But like, eh, but I should still probably write it in Quenya. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like real real tough guy here. Seriously. Real tough guy. It's like, right. well, I don't want to put it in writing or anything that that we're going no. with Adonaiac. No, because I'll like, you know, put it in writing in the north of the west. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. man, that's a good point. It really is. But then, uh, he, you know, here we see another forbidding of uh, exactly of the bingo Quenya, or the elven tongue. The elven tongue and and Cinderin. Well, it's Cinderin and Quenya. It would be it would be both. Yeah, exactly. right. Because the lore the masters were still using Quenya. So, um, right. yeah, I mean, this is again language is culture. And mm-hmm. we see, just like when Thingol forbade the use of Quenya, 
um, you know, what it did to that language and what it did to the to Noldoran culture. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. He, so our Gimelzor is even worse, right? He, he, all use of the elven tongues now is, is forbidden. He's yeah. verboten. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so speak. much happened in that paragraph. Yeah, that it was did. actually his son was. Yeah. Well, Adunachor forbid the use of the elven tongues in his hearing. Right, okay, so, yeah, but then it was our Gimelzor that was. said, no, it's against the law completely yeah. now. And forbidden, utterly. Um, wow. Yeah, and then he starts punishing the faithful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, so, so it's gone from, you know, tolerant disagreement to persecution. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. In one generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really bad news. Really, really bad news. Very. Um, so, you know, Manway knows all. So he's, uh, what does it say? The Valar were wroth with the kings of Numenor. <laughs> I got your um, Lord of the West right here, buddy. Yeah, he's your Lord of the West. So the ships don't come anymore. So even the faithful are kind of left hanging, you know? Yeah. Um, but... It, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to give, you're not getting anything anymore. You're not getting any protection. Um, you know, this is bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Gimelzor ends up marrying, uh, Inzilbeth. Uh, now she's actually of the faithful. Um, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, bad, bad idea. No love, no love was there between these two. No, not, not Or between all. their sons. And, and we're going to get to talk about their sons here in a little bit, but uh, before we do, this is as good a point as any to quote letter 131 again, because now we have <laughs> persecution. Um, and, and Tolkien explains that there are f- three phases. Seriously, just buy the letters just for just, letter 131. Well, that's well, actually it's in your forward. It's in the Silmarillion, so yeah. Just read it. So so don't, many people ask questions that. that are like. Buy the letters anyway. That's that. Yeah, buy the letters for sure. Um, and, and let me tell you, I've had so much more enjoyment out of the letters now that I have an e-copy because it's it's more searchable. Oh, yeah. Uh, I loved I my paper copy, and it's marked up like crazy. Uh, but the letters are so scattered, and there's no, you know, chapter outlines or anything to go through. It. Right. It's just right. chronological that uh, it is very helpful to have a searchable version. So You know, I, I probably should invest in that, and I'm going to uh, I just did to... like two weeks ago, and, man, did it's been really? worth it. Yeah, it really has been helpful. I'm going to blame my faulty research on that until, uh, <laughs> until I have one. Oh, goodness. So here's here's the quote. He's talking about the fall of the Numenorians. He says, there are three phases in their fall from grace. First, acquiescence, obedience that is free and willing, though without complete understanding. So that's them when they didn't get the explanation of the ban, but they obeyed. Then mm-hmm. we get, then for long, they obey unwillingly, murmuring more and more openly. Okay, so that's the stage we just saw end a little while ago. Now we get his last line. Finally, they rebel, and a rift appears between the king's men and rebels and the small minority of persecuted faithful. So anyway, just I thought a, a good point to, to squeeze that in. But yeah, very. Um, let me let me have you take the next little bit about uh, what happens when the good son gets to be king. All right. Because I just can't wait to be king. <laughs> to be king. <laughs> oh, man. We've gone from uh, queen to, to Simba. <laughs> That's just us. We digress. That's just us. All right. But when Inziladun acceded to the scepter... He took again a title in the elven tongue as of old, calling himself Tarpalantir, for he was far-sighted both in eye and in mind, and even those that hated him feared his words as those of a true seer. He gave peace for a while to the faithful, and he went once more at due seasons to the hallow of Eru upon the Menaltarma, mm. which Argimilzor had forsaken. The white tree he tended again with honor, and he prophesied, saying that when the tree perished, 
Then also would the line of the kings come to its end. But his repentance was too late to appease the anger of the Valar with the insolence of his fathers, of which the greater part of his people did not repent. And you have to wonder, what if the greater part of his people had repented? What if he mm. was able to convince them that, you know, what if the kingsmen became the minority? I don't know. That's yeah. just another one of those what ifs. Well, but. I mean, certainly the text seems to suggest that, you know, the fact that this is mentioned as a factor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's the insolence of his fathers that is what is, yeah. uh, you know, the anger of the Valar is towards. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I love his name, Tar Palantir, far-sighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a wise. Both in eye, both in eye yeah. and mind. It's sort of literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> what do your Tar Palantir eyes see? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help They're it. taking the wisdom They're nowhere. taking the wisdom to Sauron. They're leaving it there. It's, it's, it's oh, saving. They're taking the immortality to Valinor. <laughs> uh, goodness. Um, yeah. You know, he. It, I have to tell you real briefly, this reminds me, again, because so much of this really does remind you of like the Israelites and the Egyptians and stuff like that. This reminded me of... Um, and I had to look it up. I'm so sorry. I had to look up which king it was. I just remember there was a good king after some bad kings. But Josiah, the king of Judah, and this is a story that Tolkien would have been familiar with, of course. Uh, the, the previous kings right before him, Manasseh and, and Ammon, had done great evil. Um, but Josiah attempted reform. Uh, he repented. They, he, they found some of the old uh, uh, law in the temple when they were going in there. And so he, he tried to, to fix things. Um, God ended up telling him, look, I'm still going to bring disaster to the people but I'm going to spare you by waiting until after your death. And sure enough, he dies in battle. And 12 years later, Jerusalem's captured by the Babylonians and the Israelites are hauled off uh, into exile. One good king can't undo the evil of the ones before. So mm-hmm. um, that's just, interesting. I, it really, that I mean, you're right. That, it's another example of how Tolkien just kind of grabs a little exactly. bit from all these different A little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, again, yeah. this is not that. This is not a one-to-one. Right. I'm right. not trying to... Not trying to draw allegories or analogies. I'm just saying, isn't that interesting? No, but these these are the things that Tolkien put into the soup. It's it's exactly. fascinating. It's just another little piece of the soup. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a tasty bite. So mm-hmm. let's move on to the next bite. Um, so <laughs> so no this ship last comes. Bite, yeah, this last this is, bite bites. It, yeah, you might you might feel a little <laughs> indigestion after this last bite. Um, so Tar. So uh, let's see. How does Farazan become king. Well, um, so he's he's the son of Gimelchad, right? Uh, which is the, the brother of Inzaladun, uh, right? Tar Tar Palantir. He's the king's man side of the family. So he's the he's the nephew of Tar Palantir of the king. Yep. Um, and so at this point, we haven't talked too much about Numenorean succession, but at this point, yeah, um, Numenoreans are actually. Um, Succeeding the throne to the the eldest child, even yeah, if it's queen a girl. or king, exactly. We've had right. two. We've had a few queens. ruling queens by this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So, and that's um, important to note because he does something that he shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tar Palantir did have a daughter uh, named Muriel, and she's supposed to get the scepter, but Farazan took her to wife against her will. Now, Ugh. yeah, um, yeah. Terrible, and first terrible cousins thing. and first cousins, yeah. Which you know, we didn't just see anything like that recently, did we? <laughs> no, no, n- nothing uh, at all. First nothing. cousins in uh, no, no powerful city has been uh, torn down by <laughs> incestuous thoughts between first cousins. Rondolin, Fondolin, I can't remember <laughs> what it was called. 
Jondalin? That sounds right. <laughs> um, now, granted, this is like 3,000 years ago in well, yeah. Middle Earth time. But <laughs> come on, man. I mean, it's kind of an important story for your family. You would probably yeah. remember uh, yeah. how your ancestor became a planet. <laughs> probably. So. Probably. And yeah, so I mean, this was even against the law. I mean, written in the laws that even Mm -hmm. in the royal house, you can't be closer than second degree cousins, Um, which means that it would have to have been like, you know, their kids could have, but not. Yeah. The whole generational thing. I get confused with the cousins thing. Um, But yeah, they're too close. They're absolutely too close. So then when they get married, he takes the zepter like, now I'm the king. Right. I guess. Okay. Um, instead of instead of being like, you know, the consort to the ruling queen, right, he decides right. to become the ruling this king. Yeah, yeah e- e- exactly. This isn't Prince Philip. You know, this is this is right. like Prince Philip trying to t- become the king. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes it's just really a wrong thing here. Yeah. Um, but it's but interesting. People did follow him. didn't Exactly. They? Well, they followed him. Because, look at why they followed him. Go back a little bit. Uh, he was a leader in the wars uh, and he had won great renown as a captain. And when he came back, the hearts of the people turned to him because he brought great wealth and was for the time free in his giving. Oh, so he bought them. He did. He bought them. He brought them great wealth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people, that's what they wanted, right? They didn't, they were looking to find ways to enjoy the life they had, which was now getting shorter and shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah, <indeed. laughs> uh, yeah. And so they wanted stuff and he brought them stuff. Um, wow. Uh, just... Just awful. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit here. And, uh, you know, we're going to, this is the last section of reading, and then we'll, we'll try to wrap this up. And sitting upon his carven throne in the city of Armenelos, in the glory of his power, he brooded darkly, thinking of war. For he had learned in Middle-earth of the strength of the realm of Sauron and of his hatred of Westerness. And now there came to him the masters of ships and captains returning out of the east, and they reported that Sauron was putting forth his might since Ar-Pharazan had gone back from Middle-earth, and he was pressing down upon the cities by the coasts, and he had taken now the title of King of Men, and declared his purpose to drive the Numenorians into the sea, and destroy even Numenor, if that might be. Great was the anger of Ar-Pharazan at these tidings, and as he pondered long in secret, his heart was filled with the desire of power unbounded and the sole dominion of his will. And he determined without counsel of the Valar or the aid of any wisdom but his own that the title of king of men he would himself claim and would compel Sauron to become his vassal and his servant. For in his pride he deemed that no king should ever arise so mighty as to vie with the heir of Eärendil. Therefore he began in that time to smithy great hoard of weapons, and many ships of war he built and stored them with his arms. And when all was made ready, he himself set sail with his host into the east. Man. Wow. Dangerous road. The air, I'm sorry, I just because just it's right here in front of me, the air of Eärendil. Well, Eärendil yeah. is watching down Rolling from over the sky. His grave. Yeah. yeah. Well, in yeah, his, rolling over in his, his airborne in his boat ship. in the sky, watching all this, saying, dude, don't bring me into this at all. Yeah, seriously, don't pin this on me, pal. Right. This is not. And I, well, next time I'll talk a little bit about our fires on an air endel because it's, it's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man. 
<laughs> what's Sauron to be his vassal? Um, how do you think that's going to end? Yeah, how's that going to work out for you, pal? Uh, there's only been one person who's had Sauron as a vassal, and that was, well, you know, Morgoth, <laughs> Avala. Exactly. Good yeah, luck with yeah. this. Yeah. But there's Man. a little line here at the beginning that um, <laughs> I think we both noticed that we both were like, he brooded darkly. <laughs> he brooded darkly, yeah. Why don't we yeah, who, pull those two references? Who else do we know who's brooded darkly in the Silmarillion? brooded darkly? I don't know. Was Welcor? It, was it? Was it? Was it? Welcor? Jelcor? What's his name? Uh, so yeah, Melkor, Melkor brooded Melkor. in the outer darkness. Thank you. Yes, and, and that's then, uh, chapter one, right? Yeah, and then yeah. Mini Me, Melkor's Mini Me, Theodore. <laughs> Brooded in the dark after Whack. the Silmarils were taken. <laughs> These right. days it's okay, more so like that was chapter nine. Boom. That was the Silmarils. Boom. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Brooded in the outer darkness, and then Feanor mm-hmm. brooded in the dark, and here he brooded darkly. Here he brooded darkly. <laughs> I don't think these are coincidences, folks. No, no. Tolkien does not usually Especially use because words it's accidentally. Not like brooded is something you see very often. Go ahead and do a word it's search. It's not exactly on every book. page of this book. It's no. not. It really isn't. Uh, I mean, a lot History of the times, repeating shows History up. repeats itself. Yeah, it's a lot of times. It's more like maybe the shadow brooded, but for the most time, it's things sure. about the brood of Glaurung, right? Uh, yeah, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, this is not this is not a common word. This is not this is not an accident. And this there's is... a very good reason why Melkor, Feanor, and Harferazon mm-hmm. are the three people that brooded darkly or yeah. in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. History is, re- history is repeating itself, and the fall that we are about to see, and I'm not spoiling anything no. because it is the title of the chapter. Um, <laughs> the fall that we're going to see is a reflection of the fall of Feanor and well, yeah. the fall of Morgoth. And that's the thing. The fall of, of, of Melkor in the very beginning was the first fall that created this fallen world, that created mm-hmm. uh, the corruption that took the, that's present. Then mm-hmm. you get the fall of the elves, which came about because of Feanor. Because of the fall. And oh, now right. we're going to get the fall of, a, of, of Numenor because of Arpharazone. Right. So, folks, if you're brooding in the dark, please snap out of it. <laughs> stop <laughs> brooding. Just stop, please. Stop brooding in the dark. It's a bad thing. I yep. mean, the best you can hope for if you brood in the dark is Morrissey. That's the best you can hope for. Um, that's, that's not bad. No, that's, that's not right. bad. You know. But yeah. really, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> sorry. If if you're if you're, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. That was... I don't know where to go either. I kind of wrapped it up. Boom. That's We're right. done. Thanks very much for joining us on another episode. No, um, but no, it's true. I mean, yeah, you, these these guys just bring down their whole kingdoms, yeah. don't they? Yeah. It's again and again. It's all about your choices. Exactly. Um, well, and similar things happen with both Melkor and Feanor and now Arpharazon here in the sense that he makes his decision without anybody's help. He makes his decision yeah, yeah. without counsel of anyone. Feanor, as we know, didn't listen to the counsel of anybody except yeah. for a little while from Nerdanel. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, here and, he is. I mean, the, the Valor aren't going to give him counsel anyway. That ship has sailed. True. <laughs> but, you know. Well, with, and we're going to see that even though he in, in the next part that we're going to read in our next episode. He is seduced by Sauron, but yeah. this Sauron is playing off of things that are already there. It's much like the way Morgoth plays oh, yeah. on things that are already there in Feanor. Absolutely. It's so much easier to, to go after an existing weak spot than to try to, mm-hmm. you know, 
do a full frontal assault on something that, you know, where he doesn't have a weakness. Right. So uh, the king of men wasn't, isn't this fascinating? I guess uh, Lord of the West isn't good enough. We want to yeah. be king Lord of, of the men. West and king of men. So the West is mine and so is the East. I named this unto myself and that <laughs> exactly. unto myself. You knew where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, timeline-wise, just to put this in, in timeline, uh, he set sail in 3261 to go have a chat with Sauron. Okay. So this is more than three millennia after Numenor was founded. So, Wow. And believe it or not, that actually does wrap it up for another very long episode of the Prancing Pony <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Uh, As always, we do thank you very much for joining us, uh, and we thank you for your patience. As always, and join us again next time when we read the second half of the Akalabeth. We've been spoiling this all episode. Uh, (laughs) The word means downfallen, so surprise, it doesn't end well. Shocker. Um, I I must say I like the Quenya name better, and we'll get that one soon. Yes, yes, we will. But let's not get ahead (laughs) of ourselves any more than we already have. Um, Remember, (laughs) if you're reading along and like to take notes like we do, Don't mark up those first editions or those special editions. Go to the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where you can find links to cheap paperbacks of Tolkien's works, as well as audiobooks, music CDs, and a few other cool things for your Tolkien collection. And if you buy through those links, you'll even be helping to support the show without costing you a penny more. And you can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes. Even if you don't listen to us on iTunes, you can leave us a review there. It only takes a few moments in an Apple ID. And uh, thank you to those of you who have uh, who've posted reviews. Some of you have said some wonderful things, and we mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Yes, and I'm sure uh, you'll be sober by the morning. <laughs> and if you haven't done so already, you may also subscribe on iTunes or through your mm-hmm. favorite podcast app. You can find our RSS feed on our website, or you can find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and most other podcast directories. And I'll even add that subscribing to us on iTunes does help. Uh, it helps us with the weird, I don't know, bizarre the algorithms algorithm. that make us hard to find. Seriously. Yeah. So a big thank you to those of you who are connecting with us on social media. We set out to start a conversation that everyone could join. That's why we called this The Prancing Pony. And it's why we have the online common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And social media is a great place to share our podcast as well. So please retweet us, share us, and tell your friends. Please, that's always such a big help to us. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or your top 10 anti-aging skincare secrets to the Prancing Pony Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. And we will try to get them into our next episode. Well, two hours and 40 minutes, still far too short a time to spend amongst such admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. <laughs>